Everything about this moment in history seems uniquely designed to challenge our mental health. We are suffering, we need answers, and we need help. That's why I'm so thrilled to be partnering with Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound to host their new podcast series, Going There. I'm Dr. Mike Friedman, clinical psychologist and life coach. With Going There, I will talk with musicians who struggle with their mental health, just like us. After all, mental illness affects us all. And the same artists who have stepped up to share their wonderful work with us are now sharing the intimate details of their journey in living with mental illness. We are going to ask the tough questions, and we're going to have the difficult conversations, all so that we can learn from each other. But more importantly, to shine a light on the difficult topic of mental illness so that we can all come out of the darkness and get the care we need. So we hope you join us on this journey. Going there, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Consequence Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jen, and I just wanted to break in a little early and let you know why you have an episode in your feed from us on Tuesday and not Thursday like we normally drop our episodes. Um, but we had this one ready. This is a holiday comfort horror episode, and we were just so excited to share it with you that we decided to drop it a couple of days early. We originally thought this was going to drop on Christmas Eve, which is why you hear us reference today being Christmas Eve in the episode, even though that's not actually the case in the space-time continuum. So I just wanted to let let you know in case you don't start questioning your calendars or um, your reality. But we were so excited and we just wanted to open this present early. We still have some fun stuff planned for later in the week, maybe another episode, and you'll have to listen to this one to find out more details about that. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Happy holidays and enjoy. The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unterstall. And I'm Mike Snoonian. And we have a special guest joining us today. He's a writer and playwright, unless it's redundant to say both of those things back to back. I'm not totally sure. No, I like <laughs> the you distinction. Know... It's good. It's good. Oh, nice. <laughs> and you know him from the Losers Club, Halloweenies, and Slay SMR. He's Dan Caffrey. Welcome to the pod, Dan. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, of Hi, course. Dan. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hi, ho. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas Eve, everyone, or happy holidays, happy Hanukkah, bright solstice, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you are celebrating. We are glad that you are celebrating with us. Thank you. And today we are celebrating with comfort horror. Hooray. Yay. 
<laughs> and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that actually make you feel better. Maybe it doesn't really scare you anymore, or maybe it does, and it's kind of your go-to for a good, distracting, and cathartic freakout that has nothing to do with your life. It's the horror that comforts us. And I know the movie we're talking about today is comfort horror for lots of us, and we are watching Gremlins! Yay! This was your pick, right, Dan? Yes, it was. That's why you're here. Yeah, yes. What if I was like, no, I wanted to talk about Black (laughs) Christmas. What the fuck we're talking about? (laughs) I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about Christmas Evil. (laughs) Something that would not be comfortable. I would also be happy to talk about Christmas Eve. I've good. never seen it. I love we, that movie. It's great. We really wanted a Serbian film. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, we settled for Gremlins. I wanted Martyrs, but yeah. <laughs> um, So before we dive into Gremlins, side joke that I can't quite make about the pool being green and bubbly, but that just, oh well. For <laughs> another day. Stick to the Christmas I, I, got, anyways, I picked it up. <laughs> Oh, okay. So before we dive into the movie, we're going to read a brief synopsis of it. So here is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right, Laura. If you haven't seen Gremlins at this point, folks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, come on. I mean what right. are we doing? You might as well be in a green bubbly pool or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. They turn into Gremlins. Uh-oh. Hence the uh, name. <laughs> okay, sorry. I'm going to calm down right now. <laughs> it's okay. We're all a little slap happy <laughs> That's right. at this point in the day, year, month. Right. <clears throat> Here we go. Rand Peltzer has a story to tell. It's about how he got a Christmas present for his son and ended up destroying his whole town. Merry Christmas! Yay! <laughs> Rand buys an adorable pet mogwai from the grandson of an elderly Chinese gentleman named Mr. Wing and gives it to his son Billy as an early Christmas present. His name is Gizmo and we love him. His son Billy works at a bank to support his family while his dad is off trying to sell wacky inventions at convenience stores and insane conventions. Billy's co-worker Kate also works nights at the local pub. She hates Christmas, but maybe she's into Billy? As Billy gets to know Gizmo, he fails to follow the very basic rules for caring for mogwais. He hurts them with bright light and gets him wet, spawning five more mogwais. Mogwai? I'm not sure what the plural is there. <laughs> One named Stripe for his cool but ominous mohawk. Thanks to the mischievous baby mogwais breaking his clock, Billy fails to follow the most important rule of mogwaidom. Don't feed them after midnight. Sorry, that took a lot out of me. (laughs) All of the tiny creatures, except Gizmo, who wasn't hungry, soon pupate into not-so-cute cocoons. It's the first time I've used (laughs) pupate as a verb. Uh, Okay. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Soon thereafter, they hatch as tiny, scaly monsters. Gremlins, if you will. (sighs) Hell-bent on destruction. Never fear, though, because Billy's amazing mom kills all the non-Stripe gremlins in a thrilling kitchen smackdown. However, turns out that Stripe is an enterprising little asshole, and he sneaks off to the local YMCA pool to spawn an unholy army of gremlins that proceed to menace the town and kill its residents. Billy, Kate, and Gizmo destroy all the remaining gremlins by blowing up the local movie theater, where the gremlins were enjoying a pleasant little screening of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Stripe is saved by his sweet tooth. He went to get more movie candy from the department store across the street. The gang tracks him there for a final showdown. In an epic finale involving gardening supplies, sports equipment, and Barbie convertibles, Gizmo saves the day by exposing Stripe to sunlight, killing him before he's able to spawn a second army of gremlins. Rand shows up just in time to do nothing. Great job, Rand. (laughs) 
After all the mayhem, the family is recovering at home when Mr. Wing shows up to take Gizmo back, stating that the family is not ready for this great responsibility. They don't put up much of a fight. We end on a snowy Christmas tableau and a warning from Rand that there might be a gremlin behind you right now. Merry Christmas! Yay! Oh my gosh, this movie is insane. Yes, it is. <laughs> Every time I watch it, I forget like how insane this movie is, and I love it. There's very few people that do like chaos and slapstick and satire as well as Joe Dante did in the 80s and up, you know, really through this whole like 10 year stretch. That's true. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So now let's do a feelings check. And this is where we talk about our first experiences with the film and kind of unpack how watching it makes us feel. And Dan, as we said, this was your choice. And I would love to hear about the first time you watched it and how it makes you feel now when you watch it. Sure. So I actually discovered it in my baby book. Like, I don't know, did your parents make baby books for y'all or maybe Mm -hmm. for your kids? Um, I was born July 25th, 1984, which was about a month and a half after Gremlins came out, which is weird because it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, it was a weird Christmas that came out in June, right? Yeah, Yeah, Batman Returns is like that too. It's I I guess they maybe looked at it more like blockbusters and not holiday movies. I'm not sure, but um, apparently they didn't have a summer movie block to oh. compete with the stuff so they just bumped it up gotcha. yeah sorry go ahead no yeah and when so I, I found my baby book apparently my parents when i was uh, when i right when i was born they were calling me gizmo because they had just seen gremlins i think that was the last film they saw before i was born in the theaters mm-hmm. yeah and so because of the sounds i was making as a baby so that Aww. was my first just knowing finding out what gremlins was and when i was five we were living in huntington pennsylvania and you could check out vhs's from the library and I remember I saw the video box, which was the original poster, which was just the box with Gizmo's hands coming out of it. But for the video release, they had Stripe bursting through it and Xing it out with a crayon and saying, we're here. So it looked really freaky. So my parents let me rent it. And I remember watching it and I'd never seen any footage from it or anything. And I watched it all the way up until the point where it's the first gremlin you really see. It's where Billy is at the school and mm-hmm. he finds the gremlin who killed his science teacher. And he goes into the medicine cabinet, and then the gremlin swipes out. And I remember I ran to the VCR and just turned it off. <laughs> I was like, I'm Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like I'm not doing this. This is too scary. Like, I was, too I was five, which is probably, I mean, I was it's a little young. Yeah, I was allowed mm-hmm. to watch stuff I probably shouldn't have been able to watch at that age, but that that really <laughs> did scare me. And then when I was six, Gremlins Two came out, which, as we all know, is is excellent, but also much less of a straight horror movie. I mean, Gremlins is funny also, but Gremlins Two is really fun. I think Gremlins Two is more of a a comedy horror rather than a, a horror comedy. He, yeah, and for sure. So my dad took me to see that in theaters when I was six and I could handle that. I felt like that, that was like the gremlins two is weirdly the gateway into gremlins one. And then I rented gremlins one again and I, I faced my fears like a big boy and I, and I watched it. And I think, yeah. um, I don't know. I think my feelings are still pretty similar toward it just in terms of why I like it. Um, I still think it's a pretty freaky movie. I mean, I don't get scared by it anymore because I've seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why I also love it, in, in addition just because I like gross monster shit and I like genre mashups <laughs> and all that, I really love the town of Kingston Falls. I mean, it re- they, they're watching It's a Wonderful Life in the film, and the movie actually feels like that to me. Between mm-hmm. They use a lot of um, matte paintings for the mountains in the background, which looks very snowy. I love the Darlene Love song they play in the beginning. Um, I just... I. If it weren't for the Gremlins, I would love to spend Christmas in Kingston Falls. Actually, even with the Gremlins, <laughs> I would like to spend <laughs> Christmas in <laughs> Kingston Falls. And so it's yeah. it's one of those few movies that 
I think when I watch it during the holidays, at least, it really does check both of those boxes. It, che- it checks the kind of twist and macabre stuff that I like all year round. But I really do think it functions super well as a Christmas movie because of the atmosphere. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. changed for me as I've gotten older. If anything, I think that actually makes me like it even more. And then even even just like Billy's room. Billy's room to me as a kid looked so cool. Like he gets to live in this uh, loft attic space. He's got comic books everywhere. He's a really good artist. He's He's got a pet mogwai. Everything, like everything about Kingston Falls just looks really homey and comfortable to me. Even though I guess they hint that a lot of the residents are going through some economic trouble, right? Like maybe it's not a, maybe it's not a super nice place to live with all the greedy mm-hmm. uh, landladies and and all that. Um, and I think <laughs> I think to the the town square, I think it's the same one that's using Back to the Future. So I, I wonder if there's maybe some mm-hmm. yeah, like just just some seeing in all sorts of movies that just the set has taken some, on some kind of iconography for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and when I watch it now, and I, you know, I watch it a couple times a year, probably at Christmas. It's I mean with it, like with any comfort horror, right? It all it almost just feels like mental wallpaper in a good way now. Like I can just kind of throw it on, have mm. it in the background, like I do with Rudolph or um, It's a Wonderful Life or any other Christmas movie I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And then every now and then I'll look over and see, you know, a woman blasting out of the window on a motorized <laughs> chair, which is <laughs> cool too. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and so I feel like I feel like even as the movie gets really horrific, it still looks really pretty outside. It looks really comfortable. So and yeah, and I think I think that comfort aspect for me has just grown as I, as I've gotten older. And I know we're going to talk about some of it. Obviously, there's some you know culturally insensitive things in the movie that I <laughs> I did not really pick up on when I was a little kid, but have come to recognize later. But even that doesn't take away from the just the warm blanket feel of it for me. And yeah, that, that yes, I, I don't think my relationship with the movie has changed that much. Oh, can I tell one more thing? Sorry. I know I've been yeah. like rambling. No, for a please. When I was, I, I was really sick. I remember when I was 11, I had some kind of stomach bug and I was just puking and puking and, you know, on the couch with a, with a wastebasket. And I, I think it was around Christmas time. My parents brought home gremlins and they threw it on and I got better as I was watching it. Like I was drinking ginger ale and, my stomach bug was subsiding. So I think there's some association with that too, just yet literally being la- wrapped in a blanket and not being sick anymore. Um, so I think that <laughs> that is an implanted great memory as well. That's Aww, why I love like literal comfort. Horror. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, I've seen it so many times. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's always comforting to me. Yeah. Oh, Mike, what about Aww. you? I know. <laughs> yeah. Never heard of this movie before. Uh, first time. So I was nine when this movie came out. And this would have been like one of the like I had an uncle that took us to the movies a lot um, just to get the kids out of everyone's hair. And I always like loved going to the movies like growing up. And it was impossible not to be a nine year old kid and absolutely fall head over heels in love with this movie. I mean, it is just and it's funny, like I never saw it as anything more than a comedy until I was an adult and people started talking about like what is the best Christmas horror and I'm like Gremlins is a horror movie like no it's like way too funny like it's a comedy because like at nine years old like I don't I don't know what it is like I guess like the Gremlins are supposed to be scary um, (laughs) but I just kind of saw them as like you know like just some misunderstood wildly rambunctious kids that you know (laughs) just getting into some mischief 
I mean, you knew they were, like, you know, bad, and you obviously don't want to be, you know, shooting kindly elderly old women up. Well, maybe she's not horrible. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, she's horrible. pretty. That's really the one earned the, death, I feel like. You know, <laughs> yes. She's the, she's the stand in for Mr. C, like, speaking of It's a Wonderful Life, but she's your stand in for Mr. Potter in yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. And for the um, Grinch, too. You know, so you really don't want to be, like, shooting old women through their. Um, roofs but you know hey every now and then you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet mm, um, true. <laughs> can't, can't make movie. an omelet without killing a few people go ahead exactly. <laughs> i don't know like i just thought like like you said that the the look of the town is just really beautiful and just it's hard to overstate how omnipresent gizmo was for like a one year mm-hmm. time period i mean he was just like t-shirts action i think i had like a gizmo plush toy <laughs> we even bought like gremlin cereal for a while oh, where they yeah. had oh, wow. gizmo in the box which i gotta tell you kids growing up we bought like mr t cereal it was terrible <laughs> we bought c3po cereal it was terrible gremlin cereal it was not good really? um, <laughs> so it was just like and i think they were all the same cereal with just like different moldings just like a corn, sure. like, or some kind of corn cereal right it was right. like a, yeah it was a highly processed corn and sugar bomb mm. cereal it was not good but you said like billy's room he gets like the greg grady room basically where he gets like the really cool attic space he has his own TV in there, and we're being nine. Like, I wish I had a TV in my room. Like, that's the coolest shit ever. And you get, like, wicked, fun, grossed-out stuff, like the gremlin in the blender, the microwave, you gag. It's just, like, I would have been too young to have seen the thing at that point. So, like, the closest thing, or an American werewolf in London, so the closest thing you're going to get to the really killer special effects are going to be, like, the um, gremlins popping off a spike, like, in the pool scene overall mm. and like all the weird kind of body horror that goes along with that so to me this movie has always just been a lot of fun and then as an adult you're like oh my god there are these tremendous horror elements to it and like what a fantastic gateway to horror for like a lot of people and i think this is one of the movies along with temple of doom that caused the pg-13 mm-hmm. rating to come into existence it is. Like, you're right like you're giving me this like steven spielberg produced movie and all of a sudden there's like blood and gore and, and just gristle everywhere like mm-hmm. that's that's not cool mpaa like, <laughs> there's just so uh, there are so many things as a kid like growing up that i loved about this movie and then watching it as an adult with my daughter and like that being one of the early gateways was like a really fun experience it's something where right now like there's a local drive-in that's doing christmas double features and they're doing like krampus and die hard together and i'm like my god please get the rights to gremlins and krampus and Mm. you have my 30 dollars in a car fold with my family (laughs) to go see this in the big screen you know watching it now i think that there are some and we're going to kind of go into it there are definitely some characteristics to this movie like a lot of the art in the 1980s that maybe doesn't hold up to scrutiny and Mm -hmm. i think it shows where we've come like a really long way where you can recognize those things i tend to be a little bit more forgiving of things like that i think it's more because i have an emotional attachment to this movie than i would if it was something that i had watched for the first time Mm -hmm. the last thing i'll say is when people talk about 
things like Stranger Things and Summer of 84 and Super 8 and how they're kind of mining you're kind of mining the Amblin Entertainment vibe. Mm-hmm. Like this to me is like peak Amblin Entertainment where mm-hmm. you could have movies that are made for children, but they're really smart and they're really funny and they don't really talk down to their audience. They allow they allow for the fact that children can have these really vivid, bright imaginations and can maybe handle some subject matter and some things that, I think a lot of our entertainment geared towards adolescence really veers away from now. Mm-hmm. And I do think that kids suffer for it. I think you say like, oh, I love Stranger Things because it's really like Amblin's. Like, well, I love Stranger Things because it's really hitting that Goonies, Gremlins vibe overall that I think is done so. And I just love Joe Dante. Like, This and the Howling, I think, are two wonderful movies. Mm-hmm. Laura, what about you? So I'm pretty sure (laughs) once again just no memory no memory of when i first saw this movie just none what is happening did i I have a childhood you're just downloading the matrix style into your head you're gonna do brain spotting therapy one day and all it's gonna be is like when you first saw all these movies we watched it's gonna be like like, a letterbox uh, uh, profile uh, yeah just all all the memories come in and like my Mm -hmm. head i start bleeding out of my eyes and my ears Mm -hmm. and like so, you know, I, I'm almost positive. I mean, I do remember seeing at least part of it or being aware of it when I was a little child, mostly because the gremlins scared me. And it's one of many movies I remember my mom tutting about as being like too intense for kids. Why is this directed at kids? And like she thought it was creepy and weird. My mom never feels neutral about anything. She either like loves or hates things. And I just, you know, so like this Freddy Krueger, I just remember getting an earful of like, it's twisted and wrong. Um, so I mean, and I say this, she's actually very liberal and like, you know, but for some reason, if something sets her off. So like, those are like my main early associations with it where I, once again, as like something I should really be concerned about. But I, I know I did eventually see it in its entirety. I was probably a teen or a tween. I probably watched it on TV. So I don't really have the sentimental attachments to this film. I have seen it several times before this viewing, but I don't have that, you know, that warm blanket, that real sentimental attachment that um, Mike and Dan, you guys have. But I, you know, certainly do not want to shit on this movie. I actually really like it. I, en- I enjoy all the things you guys just both mentioned I I also think I really like Joe Dante I think he's just a batshit crazy director who knows how to direct (laughs) like Mike said like fun chaos like no one else I think the cast is really lovable Gizmo is adorable as I was watching it this go around I did find myself growing steadily more uncomfortable and thinking to myself like hmm and I just had to google gremlins racist (laughs) and like and uh, you know unsurprisingly I found I wasn't really alone in my in that sort of burbling feeling in the back of my brain um mainly leaning on some tropes that are are not you know that that you do see especially in a lot of 80s cinema which I and and really on into the 90s and early 2000s which is like the magical minority trope Mm mm-hmm um, like it's similar to the Green Mile or so, uh, other other films of that nature or, or and books. Um, it's very 1980s in its depiction of the Chinese shopkeeper and the subtext, I think, of fears of like foreign invasion, offshoring of American jobs, 
mass-produced Chinese technology, and I'm not sure that it totally like interrogates those ideas in a meaningful way. And I'll get more into this during the discussion, but uh, and I'll quote a really meaningful article I found. Again, I just it left me really buzzing with a lot of cognitive dissonance. Like, how can such a sweet and zany and fun movie also really have these ugly and racist undertones? And I just said to myself, "Well, that's America, baby." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that that's that's how I felt about it. <laughs> Yeah, I I kind of picked up on some of that stuff too, and we're and we're going to talk about that in our like when we dig into the film. And I just want to say too, we're not going to shit all over this because I think there's a lot to really love in this movie. But I also think it's important that we talk about stuff like that. I do not remember the first time I watched this movie either, but I remember being terrified of it. And I said for years until like a few years ago that I hated this movie it was really, I think I was just really scared. And I had um, the, the vision of the teacher who had been stabbed in the butt. And I thought that was <laughs> like, I saw that when I was, I must've been like five when I saw that. And that stuck with me for so long. And I didn't, Realize it stuck with him too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh man. Well, I didn't I'm realize sorry. until watching it this time that it's not a knife in his butt, that it's a syringe. I was like, oh, well, that's not. Did that make it better? I was. Yeah, I just. Though, I don't like, know. How did? I guess his head's under the desk, so theoretically that gremlin could have bitten his head off, or because yeah, I was always like, how did yeah. he die just from a shot in his butt? I mean, for I guess it depends well, on what the stuff is inside it I mean, but maybe that maybe the did something else to him too that's the thing that freaked me out i was like you can die from that how <laughs> i don't want to get stabbed in the butt, death, death <laughs> anyway. <by> butt stabbing. <laughs> right so for years that really freaked me out and i didn't remember until i watched it last year that that was the movie that it came from but what i remember was being terrified of the gremlins and just kind of saying, like, it was my, like, distancing. Well, I just don't like that movie. It's not for me. And then I watched it last year, and I was like, holy shit, this movie is insane. <laughs> and I loved, like, all of the the fun wackiness. There are parts of it that don't totally work for me, but that's just kind of how I am with Joe Dante, you know? And I said this in the Burbs episode. There's, like, he feels like Stephen King with, fuck, not Stephen King. <laughs> not everything is Stephen King. Um, he feels like Steven Spielberg with, like, a mean streak. And sometimes that really works. And sometimes it is just a little bit too much for me. And I feel like I'm so like really polar with this movie because there are things that I really, really love. And there are things that I'm not too crazy about. But man, the the mom is just one of my horror heroes because she well, I we'll get into that scene later. But um, I so I've kind of done a 180 on this. I still don't know if it would I would consider it one of my favorites. Also didn't realize until like the last couple of years that this is a Christmas movie. I think because I had avoided it for so long that I was like, why is everybody talking about gremlins around Christmas? And it's very much a Christmas movie. So, you know, we don't need to have that debate. But yeah, it, it's <laughs> full, full on, is, fair, fairly Christmassy. Yeah. Right. But Jen, is, is Die Hard a Christmas Die movie? Die Hard is, you know what? I like to watch Die Hard at Christmas, and that makes it a Christmas movie for me. Okay. And yeah, I, it's like it. I, I these these. It's like if it's a Christmas, it's got Christmas trees in it. Like if you want to watch it at Christmas, like not go for out. it. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I also did not realize Home Alone was a Christmas movie until adulthood. 
because <laughs> really? I just didn't. Yeah, because I didn't watch it for a long time. I think I was kind of a Scrooge about Christmas movies for a while. I was like, what this about is stupid? What about It's a Wonderful Life or oh my God, a Christmas I hate Carol? That movie. <laughs> what about a Christmas? <gasps> I love It's a Wonderful Life. Corey loves it too, and I'm like, please don't make us watch that this year. <laughs> do, do you just do you not like Christmas a lot, Jen? For real, like I know a lot. No, of I do like, yeah. love Christmas. I um, I don't love it as much as I did a couple of years ago. But you're you don't have a family member that like got stuffed down a chimney. I'm sorry, well, but that is also <laughs> that the the one she that always I, I felt really bad, but especially this time as soon as the reveal of talking about her dad dying in a chimney because he was pretending to be sick, like that just I started laughing so hard. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's so insane. Sorry, it's, it's objectively funny. When, and I think I think they kept it in there because there was a big debate whether to take that speech out because Spiel, I think it was mm-hmm. Spielberg mm-hmm. was like this is tonally confusing and Dante was like no that's why I want to keep it in because it is it, you're like it is, it's it's freaky you're but like, also what? kind of funny and a weird thing to talk about right in the middle right. of the climax of the movie and then they they satirize it in the second movie when she starts to tell a story about um a- a- President's Day and seeing a man who looks like Abraham Lincoln and then and then they just go we don't have time for this and they just they, she doesn't finish her story oh wow is super funny. Yeah. that's, that's awesome. really funny I, I mean I watched that and I was like oh I feel you girl like everybody's having fun and then you just dump all over the place with your sad story it was like I've been that girl yeah I'm, I'm definitely that archetype like 100 percent <laughs> right yeah my nickname and re- when I was waiting tables was thundercloud because I said it just like rain on everybody's parade <laughs> and oh, I've been called baby. Debbie Downer more times than oh. I care to count and well you know what we'll just make each other sad by ourselves and the rest of them will just miss out on our wacky stories you know that's why we're we are so funny though is (laughs) because that's true we've we've had to we had to live with this so we figured out how to make it funny right yeah if I can just put one of the characters in my terrible story in a Santa Claus suit I think it goes a (laughs) long way you know well, so we're kind of starting to dig into the movie because there's just so many fun parts to talk about. But let's talk about specific scenes, characters, and themes. And before we talk about what we love, let's talk about the elephant in the room that we have mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> you care to Speaking start. of Debbie Downer, here I am. You're going to ruin your childhood. Christmas is canceled. So on that note, you know, I am by no means. okay. so I have a lot of notes here and it it, I did not mean to write as many notes as I did. And I feel like it reads like an essay. So feel free to interrupt me here. Have a conversation (laughs) with me. This is not me making some proclamation from a hill. I am not in any way trying to say that enjoyment of this movie makes you racist because mm-hmm. I enjoy this movie. I think there's a lot to enjoy about it. Um, and I'm really not trying to shit on it. I just wanted to get all these thoughts out. And I also quote an essay that I found that I think really does a good job articulating some of this. So I do think this movie is a bit racist. And then that fact exists alongside its positive qualities. Mm-hmm. I don't believe it was intended to be racist or is explicitly racist. But I think it's a really good example of the distinction between explicit and implicit racism. Mm-hmm. Um, again, not trying to cancel the movie. I just want <laughs> us to talk about it. Uh, and yeah, so... In my opinion, you can blame the screenwriter, good old Chris Columbus. You can blame Joe Dante. Maybe you can blame Ronald Reagan or anyone (laughs) involved for not really interrogating the subtext here. 
really to me it's the realization of the fears of the Mr. Futterman character R.I.P. Dick Miller I'm so sorry I love you <laughs> uh, the character he lost his job he fought in the war and is convinced that all of the his problems are due to foreigners putting literally gremlins in his technology and I, you know I do think there's an argument to say like that's the POV of the character and not the, the script or the movie's intention but I, I do think that that wasn't fully interrogated because i mean at one point the protagonist billy literally shouts mr futterman was right and mm-hmm. i do think that the movie takes on the perspective that perspective as actually being the truth in the way that that it plays out with with the gremlins and the hostile takeover and yada yada mm-hmm. to me this couldn't be a more on the nose example of misdirected economic anxiety as there's the perpetually smarmy judge reinhold <laughs> he has a little character in this movie and he says to billy Times are changing. You have to change with them. Um, and I think that that is a shadow on this movie, for, you know, with the landlady, with the dad, who's this, like, entrepreneur who, you know, makes all these zany inventions and is trying to, like, bootstrap his family through, you know, while, while all this technology is being offshored and yada, yada. Um, I do really see the fear of the gremlins as a misdirected fear of globalization and capitalism. It's hard not to read the read the whole thing as, for me anyway, as economic or technological anxiety transmuted into fear of the other. Mm -hmm. The uh, essay that I was referring to earlier was by an English professor named Wendy Allison Lee. Um, I'm going to quote it here and, you know, try to get through this as quickly as possible. I think we can link it in the show notes as well. Yeah, we will. So this is the quote. Gizmo embodies a number of characteristics that echo supposedly positive stereotypes of Asian Americans as the model minority. Gizmo is cute, well-behaved, plays the piano in the form of a Casio keyboard, and strives to assimilate to the cultural norms of small white-town America, starting, of course, with his name. At the same time, he is a pet that comes with three strict rules. Don't expose him to bright light, don't get him wet, and don't ever feed him after midnight. Once those rules are broken, Gizmo generates, against his will, the wicked gremlins, a horde of others that will now terrorize the town that welcomed their model peer. Gizmo's appealing Asian-American cuteness is fraught with danger. The film is hardly subtle about its ambivalence. Billy's neighbor, Murray Futterman, voices his unease with Asian goods when he laments owning a Japanese television. Goddamn foreign TV. I told you we should have got a Zenith. Zenith? Zenith? I think it's Zenith. Yeah. Yeah. Thereafter, (laughs) uh, Gizmo's offspring turned the technology of domestic and civic life in the town. Billy's alarm clock, traffic lights, the Pulsar's turntable, the TV sets in a Montgomery Ward store, Futterman's TV antennae into their mean antenna antenna what into their <laughs> means of mischief and terror ultimately the film's gremlins prove futterman to be right in his technology focused xenophobia gremlins he says you got to watch out for them foreigners because they plant gremlins in the machinery but these gremlins are even more dangerous than the gremlins br- that brought down our planes in the big one world war ii that's just a quote there's mm-hmm. a lot more to the essay and it kind of goes through and examines these ideas and I'm almost done, I promise. <laughs> no, keep I going. I swear to good. fucking God, I promise. Um, there are a number of things in the script that I think hint at a different kind of movie that I th- I, I think that Columbus maybe thought he was writing. I, I really, th- again, I, I don't think any of these, these sort of ideas were really intentional. Uh, I think he was attempting a new spin on an alien invasion plot. Although you can argue that all alien invasion stories also boil down to a fear of the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at one point, Billy watches, I think he's watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There's a DJ on the radio who mentions Orson Welles, a nod to the War of the Worlds. There's even this meta ET moment with the gremlin in the department toy store. 
nonetheless, there's no really getting away for me from the ugliness in the subtext. And it's, you know, it's been written and discussed a lot. It was even lampooned, which the Lee essay points out in the 2014 movie, Dear White People. Mm. And so my, the question that I was left with while and like thinking about while wringing my hands to the point of bleeding while watching the movie um, was, <laughs> can we enjoy a movie that is God, that does have so many problematic elements? I think we can. And I do. But not if we don't at least acknowledge and sit with everything that's wrong about it, which is why I just talked a lot. And I apologize for that. No, <laughs> so, don't apologize. I think it's yeah. important to talk about that kind of stuff because that's how we get better. That's how we grow, you know. And I don't think anybody making this movie intended to offend anyone or be explicitly racist. And I like what you said about the difference between explicit and inherent Implicit. Implicit. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, okay. <laughs> because I did, but I think this is like we can't just cancel things and not talk about it because then we never yeah. get better and it just builds resentment. And so nobody's trying to cancel Gremlins. We just need to talk about it, you know? Yeah. And I, and I do want to say, I, like, I really do enjoy this movie and I genuinely think it's a lot of fun. I just couldn't get my, I couldn't get, it's, it's a real feeling of cognitive dissonance, like I said yeah. earlier. So I don't mm-hmm. know if yeah, either of you <laughs> want to comment <laughs> on any of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So I don't have like any notes written. So honestly, I did not expect the, until we got the notes, I'm like, I didn't know we were kind of going in this direction tonight. So Sorry. Um, that's all right. Um, because I found myself like, in all honesty, when I first like looked through the notes, I found myself like getting frustrated and a little bit upset. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> and then I found myself interrogating those feelings a lot as I'm like prone to do like well, why am I thinking like this right now and I don't really have like an issue with like the argument that you're making here I think that a lot of what you're saying is like on its surface like very true um, and I think where you really hit it on the head is like explicit versus implicit racism mm-hmm. because I find myself often making this argument. It's like with people that say like, well, racism is dead. Like really not, there's no racism anymore. And, and just because that, you know, or I'm not a racist, even though I hold all these really abhorrent views, just because you're not wearing like a Klansman robe and shouting the N word while waving the Confederate flag around, doesn't mean that you don't have like these implicit biases or racist tendencies mm-hmm. in you that, need to be interrogated so on one hand i'm like very fond of making that argument and pointing it out on the other hand i'm like well, why am i getting so frustrated by this argument overall and i think it does boil down to like again having an emotional attachment to a work of art and then mm-hmm. you know wanting not wanting to necessarily engage it on that level and saying what does it say about me at that point point? and i think like the fulcrum there is probably flutter in and i kind of wanted to say my own reading of the character because i think you're right i think like he's a racist but i think that his worldview is shaped by his experiences in world war ii and i grew up with like a grandfather and um, other relatives that served in world war ii and actually saw action overseas on the pacific rim and i can tell you like what they saw there really shaped their worldview and I'm not saying that as an excuse, but I'm saying it as like they carried those things. My grandfather in particular carried it home with him. Mm-hmm. And when I think of my grandfather, the things I remember the most are him throwing light bulbs at my cousin and I because we were just two little fuck ups. He would just chase <laughs> us around the yard and throw <laughs> light bulbs. I remember him 
teaching us to steal tips from tables at diners going oh someone left money on the table you should go get it and we're like three years old what the hell okay throwing light bulbs stealing tips go on him calling us goddamn dopes and Mm. he would use the phrase like he would use and he had a lot of charming things too um and him and he taught me how to read like he's the one that taught me how to read okay that's good so but he also would like use the phrase like goddamn all the time Mm. you know like that was like probably the most um common phrase in his vernacular overall Mm. and i think he carried it with him and i texted you this earlier like my grandmother escaped the armenian genocide at the hands of the ottoman empire as a small child and she would literally fist fight someone in the department store if she found out they were turkish like there are stories of my grandmother who was like my god five foot two 85 pounds mm-hmm. and she would literally throw hands with wow. someone for no other reason except they were from <laughs> because she carried them does that make it right no fuck no of course not i don't i and you had mentioned like what kind of movie is christopher columbus writing i took the futterman character as someone that christopher columbus wrote about because he probably saw and knew people like that in his own life and included a character like that um in there i do think that like futterman acts as kind of like a litmus test for the viewer and if you're unable to kind of see the biases that he has then you may want to examine your own self for a little bit and ask why that is so i do mm. think that i totally can understand and get why a character like that would be really frustrating and cause for a different kind of engagement in the movie mm-hmm. i also don't think filmmakers necessarily thought they were being disrespectful to other cultures i just don't think it entered their heads that's what i'm saying is i i i don't think it i don't think it did i you know i'm just i think that they sort of put all these layers down Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. with a little bit of interrogation maybe they could have said like oh you know maybe we should tone some of these elements down or, or you know make some statements to to make it clear where we stand on this but i i really don't think i think it was a bunch of white boys just had mm-hmm. wanted to have a fun time and sure. they were and they were picking up on real anxieties of the era and it all just kind of came out this way mm-hmm. and then you have the separate issue of like sort of this culturally insensitive portrayal of a of a chinese shopkeeper and mm-hmm. you know and it's it's all just kind of comes together and left me just feeling kind of uncomfortable mm-hmm. so but again still love a ton of things about this movie yeah. so yeah you know do you all th- think that, and and I completely agree. I think at the end of the day, I don't think Christopher Columbus or Joe Dante was thinking all that deeply about it. So I, I say that as a preface to to sort of debunk what I'm, I'm about to say, but I was wondering this because after reading the notes, I, I was just trying to think in my head, like, well, is there some kind of subversion going on here? Is the movie smarter than we think? And it's probably mm-hmm. not because I agree. I don't think, I just don't think they were thinking beyond much of, let's make this anarchic Christmas movie. And yeah, it'll have some undertones about economic disparity and, and um, xenophobia and things like that. But I was mm-hmm. thinking, I'm like, okay, so Futterman talks about the gremlins and then the gremlins happen. Now I, I've never thought that the, the movie is at all implying that these gremlins, like the Mogwai essentially were what Futterman is talking about. Like I always got that Futterman was kind of full of it and he's drunk a lot and kind of crazy, you know, being a crazy war veteran and that he's projecting that onto these things that are separate from that. And then what do they do? Mm-hmm. They uh, drive a bulldozer through his house and kill him, right? And so I was trying, right. and, and also the gremlins are caused by humans, white humans own ignorance, right? And so part of me was mm-hmm. trying to think, okay, well, 
is what the movie trying to say is that the, these gremlins are just monsters or whatever, and then we're putting all of our xenophobic fears onto it, onto this thing that we actually caused within the town, and the thing that's causing destruction in the town. And 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 like I said, I I don't think the movie's actually doing that. <laughs> like I just don't think mm-hmm. it's thinking that deeply. But I was I was wondering if that is any kind of valid read on it. I, and and I don't know because I think mm-hmm. even just mm-hmm. the portrayal of the shopkeeper is racist, just in terms of the characterization, right? Like the the yeah. mystical Chinese man who, who mm-hmm. speaks a certain way with the beard and everything like that. But but it, but it's funny because I th- I think I think because the filmmakers probably weren't thinking deeply about any of this, then it does create several routes of interpretation maybe but i don't know does that mm-hmm. ring true for any of y'all i'm mm-hmm. not even saying i believe that it was just something i was i was thinking of tonight i was just trying to weigh how subversive yeah. the movie was or is it subversive at all or is it like you said just white boys have having their fun in the 80s you know yeah i i did kind of see that a little bit and i don't know if the movie was trying to do it i don't know if the movie was really trying to do yeah, very I, much I at all agree. you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. um but i mean the thing that kind of stuck out to me is that um the, he's saying you can't handle this responsibility like the, the natural world like they're trying to control the natural world which is kind of a lot of what european or white euro eurocentric people tend to do um you know right. and that's kind of what i picked up but when i was doing research on this movie for another pod i read that the gremlins had often been kind of seen as like a stereotype of black characteristics and like their facial structure and mm-hmm. there's a scene where they're eating fried chicken that was and a lot of the the stereotypical like stuff they're doing in that crazy bar scene is like kind of mocking black characters yeah, yeah i the hats I read, like the newsboy caps were, and I, I actually don't, I don't think that was at all what the movie was going for, but I know, yeah, I read that was, the yeah, thing. I don't like either. the, like the, even the way they were dressed was, yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's what I yeah, picked up, it's, you know. I, I, I've read that too, and I, I think that personally, I, I, I think that the gremlins are kind of this projection machine in a mm-hmm. lot of ways where you can, but I, but I do think that, that regardless, they obviously and very clearly are meant to represent an invasive, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm othering kind of an other you know capital capital o other so you can project onto that any kind of racial group you know the the, and but i i I have i have read that too i think that that is the speech in dear white people Mm. as they go through and talk about all the ways that it's actually like uh, like shitting on black Mm -hmm. culture or something like that so I, i i felt like that was also a little bit of a um a stretch just just for myself but but i think that and i and dan i like that read mm-hmm. i wish that was what they were going <laughs> <Right>. for <laughs> like i think i think it's a really smart and interesting read and i do think you know if we want to read it that way that in my opinion like once you put something out into the world it sort of ceases mm-hmm. to be yeah. yours and and it is only what people choose to make of it so I, I say, like, if you want it to be about that, like, that's also mm-hmm. fun, you know. Right. <laughs> and, but, and I should yeah. say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a, a kind of half-assed form thought, you know, just because I was because right. I agree with the, like, what you had in your notes, but I, I was just trying to think like, oh, well, and and uh, the, I hope I don't get in trouble for, for saying this, but I I don't think a lot of filmmakers in general think that deeply about the thematic implications mm-hmm. of their work, even in work that is explicitly dire- addressing some of those things, like. The film is a genre. I don't. I just don't think blockbusters generally. I, I mean, I don't know. I've even seen. I think even with the Marvel movies, which I love, but they get praised a lot for addressing certain things. And I'm like, well, they're not really addressing it. Like, yeah, they're they're casting well and they're they're being representational, <laughs> yeah. which is excellent. But I don't. You know, I don't know how like how much they're really going into some of this stuff because it's a superhero movie, you know. Right. And so, 
so it's like right. so it's kind of a half a half truth or a half assed uh, uh, thought on yeah. my part. Yeah. yeah. One thing though, one thing is like Joe Dante is a filmmaker that like injects a lot of like very sly and subversive social commentary into his best work. Mm-hmm. When you look at the Howling and like what a critique that is of like self help culture and guru culture uh, and the pop psychology that was really dominant in like the late 70s early 80s when you look at films like late like we talked about the burbs and kind of like the kind of paranoia that comes within the suburbs and how Mm -hmm. isolating that can be that i think that like this movie acts as like a subversive takedown on a lot of like consumerism around the holidays Mm -hmm. but i do Mm -hmm. think that it does you know it does speak to him that at the same time he doesn't look at some of these things and go maybe these are a little bit we're being a little bit too on the nose or insensitive mm-hmm. to our portrayal and i think yeah. that's a byproduct of like it being 1984 and right you can look at it now at 2020 and say like that wouldn't fly yeah well and it's it's funny sorry mike um it's <laughs> this mike that i just bumped sorry mm-hmm. um it, <laughs> it's funny that we're talking about this because dan you and i just covered the green mile on the losers club mm-hmm. and we talked about like a lot of problematic things existing in this work of art where there's also a lot of things that we really love and one of the things i think you said in that episode was when you're doing something kind of light that involves some kind of stereotype or some kind of racial element, it leads to trouble because there's like you you don't always see the bias that you carry, you know, and every single person in the world has bias like we just do because we're coming from our own experiences and that's what bias is and that does not make us bad people. It doesn't make us racist what bias is is just the lens that we view the world and that comes from our experiences and the problem is the problem comes up when we don't interrogate those biases when we're not aware of them and we don't understand how they hurt other people and like there was this twitter thing that was going around a while ago called like what feels racist but isn't racist you know Mm -hmm. and I think this and I was like I kept puzzling over that (laughs) and I was just thinking like what an interesting question like kind of like leading down the road to cognitive dissonance it just like I kept like turning that over my head because it was so fascinating to me and this is one of the things where I think it's kind of a gray area you know where like I don't know if I could really put my finger on what it is that makes me feel uncomfortable and Laura as I'm looking at your notes and reading that article I think you both have done a good job of doing that but as I was watching it I was like this just kind of makes me feel a little uncomfortable And I think it's important to, like, mention that, too, because we are just not good at examining racism Mm -hmm. yet. And we need to start talking about the feelings. That's why I, like, really like the feelings checks that we do, because (laughs) when we talk about how we feel, that leads to talking about why we feel that way. And that leads us to making decisions that don't make us feel those ways or that do make us feel those ways, you know? Um yeah, and I, I think I think we're afraid almost to voice mm-hmm. some of these things because it it feels like you're making a moral right. judgment yeah. by saying this. I, I noticed this happening in the movie, and like I just really want to emphasize, like I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to make a moral judgment. I'm not trying to say that I'm like high and mighty for for seeing these things about right. this movie. Uh, you know, it, it's. I just really I, I want it to be a good faith conversation right. where we examine these kind of things. And I, and then I think once you do that, you can fucking enjoy the parts that mm-hmm. are enjoyable because obviously this movie is a classic for right. a reason. When I, th- I think, too, even the way we talk about race, I mean, that's changed in the, in the past six months, right? Like right. I think and yeah. talk mm-hmm. about race way differently just 
now than I did this time last year because of everything that's happened in 2020. And even the, ter- I'd love what Lara said about um, implicit and explicit, because those weren't terms that were even in my vocabulary until this year, I think about right. how racism functions. What, what's the intent behind it? Right. And like you all were saying, I don't think there's at all any ill intent in, in mm-hmm. this movie. Could they have thought deeper about it and interrogated some of those things? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and, ar- and arguably could have made the movie even smarter than it is. Right. But by actually investigating mm-hmm. some of those things. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just wanted to echo that, that like, it's, I mean, I think the way we talk about race is just changing by the minute. It's definitely right. different now than it was in 1984. Well, and and yes. I, I completely agree. And I just want to say, too, it's not that these things weren't racist in 1980, 1984, and they are now. It's that the people that were offended didn't have the voice to say they were mm, offended. Yeah. And they do now. And that's how we move forward, you know. And I was going to say one other thing that was so smart and so... Amazing, and I just can't remember to what po- poignant. Po- would, you, poignant. would you say it would be yes. poignant? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So speaking of the things that we do like, <laughs> let's talk about some of our favorites. And I, um, I mentioned earlier, but the mom in this movie is my one of my horror heroes because. She gets a knife and then she said, no, 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 hold on. I need another knife. And she stops and gets another knife. And I watched that and I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> no one does that in horror movies. Ever. I know. I like, I actually, knife. that kitchen scene is so amazing. And it starts yeah. with one of my favorite Christmas carols. Do you hear what I hear? I wish they Ooh, it's played. So creepy. I know. And I wish they had kept that playing all the way through. Cause I just love that song. But I like I wrote out my reactions to the scene because I just love it. Do you hear what I hear? I love that song. The gremlin is eating her cookie. She kills it with a blender, then stabs the one who's throwing dishes at her, puts it in the microwave. Gross. And then I wrote in all caps, gets two (laughs) knives. Fuck yes. And then I wrote, he's hiding in the Christmas tree. Then Billy swords it into the fire. And it's just this amazing brawl of like she takes out four fucking gremlins. And it's so cool. And I love her. End scene. No, she's, she's I, I love how it ends with um, Stripe also like blowing his nose in the curtains, like he's sad that his gremlin friends are like. Do you know what happened to the mom though originally in the script? Yes, she. Well, so she beheaded. She's beheaded. Billy comes home and her head it's gets like rolls down the floor. Down the Holy yeah. shit! So glad that That's did too end much. That way. That's, and the gremlins yeah, were going to eat the dog. They were. They're going to eat oh, Barney. No. Yeah, so sad. Yeah. I was gonna, there. There's a few moments in this movie where they have like they have strung the dog up by the Christmas lights. Like I was just like no, and then they're so when they when they have Gizmo on the little the little board with the darts, and I was like, ah! like I was just like I'm so stressed out right. by this, and that's that mean streak I'm talking about, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I think it. that's a good thing. I think that sometimes, like as much as we love Steven Spielberg, well. I think he gets a bit smaltzy. I agree. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. disappointing that oh, for none sure. of the kids in Jurassic Park ever get eaten. Oh. Like as far as I'm concerned, like, you know, he didn't have any problem, you know, killing little Billy Kitman or Alex Kitman, but like oh, Alex yeah. Kittner, yeah. yeah, yeah, Alex Kitner, thank you. But you know, the, by by like the mid '80s, early '90s, he's like, children must live, and that's yeah. a bit disappointing. <laughs> I wonder if he'd had kids by that point. <laughs> gonna, yeah, I'm going to take that quote out of context. <laughs> 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 we always talk about uh, uh, Matt Gerber on the Losers Club and I, because we, we love this movie. I get, so, and it's funny because I actually, as a kid, I did view it more as a horror movie. I think because mm-hmm. I was a little bit younger when I saw it at first, like it just scared me. And then when I get older, I realized how funny it was. But I, as horrible as the, I mean, the gremlins do horrible ass shit in this movie. They, they do really, really do. Things. Mm-hmm. They're so sadistic. But man, they are so funny to me. Like I, I'm, I'm still pretty scared of them in the in the whole kitchen scene, especially right before we hear 
do you hear what I hear? You see that silhouette of one of them on the wall and he mm-hmm. runs away. That I, I, Silhouettes always creep me out. But then after that, like Stripe Stripe blowing his nose and saying like the gizmo caca. Me, me and Mac like say that all the time. Where it's like gizmo caca. And then, and then when he, even when Stripe d- jumps in the pool, he's like holding his nose, which is really funny to me. Um, and, and then when he, uh, I, I like still do this if I'm about to eat like a sweet or something that's bad for me. I always go yum yum because I think it's I think it's so funny just how how much Stripe enjoys things, whether mm-hmm. it's candy yes. or trying to kill people. And um, there's this great deleted. It's a re- real hedonist. Yeah, right? no, he, that's a great that's a great way to describe him. total hedonist. And mm-hmm. the, and he's voiced by Frank Welker, who does the Transformers. All I mean, he's, he's like Fred, every right? voice. Yeah, yeah, he yeah yeah he he does he does like so many different voices in Hollywood. And um, there's this deleted scene where where the you know where the gremlins uh, ring Mrs. Deagle's doorbell and they're they're caroling. They've mm-hmm. somehow found tiny scarfs that that fit them. Um, they, <laughs> yeah. they're cold, you know. I know it's so. Fun. I always wonder, I'm like, where did they get all these like form-fitting clothes? But um, yeah, there's this great deleted scene where um, you Stripe is is seeing human carolers, and he pops his head out of the snow, and he listens to the human carolers sing, and he like enjoys it. He like bobs his head back mm-hmm. and forth, and which plants the seed for that scene. So yeah, the, yeah. So he, you just see him enjoying this, and I think that you don't really see. In horror movies, when you see the killer's point of view or the monster's point of view, you don't get to see that a lot. Like, oh yeah, I'm just loving this, and so I think mm-hmm. I think that's like in the second half of the movie, especially, I'm just like on on board for all of that. Yeah, I mean, they're really evil puppets. Like, they have uh-huh. that real <laughs> yeah. kind of like they have this real subversive streak that you know Jim Henson's best work like really brought like a subversive streak to it. And you see that even though they're not Henson creations, you see that here with like spike and all the other gremlins where like the bar fight to me is really fun because oh, like so how many movies or like tv shows have we watched where there's like this uh, out of control bar fight you know mm. like i just watched <laughs> i just like the day before thanksgiving did like an adam sandler movie marathon because i just needed oh, like really dumb fun movies and i watched uh anger management where there's mm. like a bar fight in there you know not a giant one but it's just like silly fun you know mm. and i think that's like just and you have like Phoebe Cates' character trying to like serve them, and it just it looks so ridiculous. Why is she serving them? Right? Right. It's so funny. I know like, they it's, could all just, get... it's just and, and you don't think about that as a kid, and when you're like watching the movie, you don't really think about why she's doing that. But then later on, you're like, why was it, were the humans like not running for their lives? Like they're actually serving them beer. And <laughs> right. I think when, hey, like, economic times that... are hard. She's got right. to keep that job. You know. But she's not even getting paid. She's got to <laughs> making tips. Maybe they leave good tips. Right. Oh yeah, that's right. She's doing I know. She's the only one there, and like that scene goes on for so long uh, too. That whole bar sequence. It's like I was watching it. And I'm like, oh, I know. I'm like, and then they like cut over to one of them's wearing like the little hat, and there's like a little <laughs> vignette over in the corner. Do you, do you and think you're that's like, what? A, a reference to Tom Waits? I always thought that re- that I, Grimlin was supposed to be Tom Waits. Like he's just going like, yeah, 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 like in the, yeah. I was trying to figure out what it was because then Tom Waits is as good a guess as any. Yeah, he's like, yeah, better a better a bottle in front of me than a frontal about me over there. You know, like it's just. And, uh, that's actually hilarious. I want a Tom Waits gremlin. I, I, I think I even Googled Tom Waits gremlin one time to see if that came up because that, that's what I've always thought. I, lo- I love to where they get to the poker game and Stripe has another gremlin whose dress is like his gun ball, like, <laughs> right. like, like, like she's in, and, and then he actually shoots another <laughs> gremlin because of yeah. the, the poker game. Oh, it's so funny. I think that's, that's the point where, I mean, the movie's been pretty 
anarchic up to that point but i think that's where it just gets out of control like tonally mm. it's suddenly and you're like how did the gremlins know all this human pop culture so far right, right. the part where i lose my mind is when it becomes flash dance <laughs> like yeah. what the hell yeah. <laughs> like With, oh my yes. god this is amazing like wearing the little leg warmers yeah, yeah. and they, they show the gremlins hips like swear that's right. so funny yeah, yeah. And he's like <laughs> on his arm and then the other part like i i thought my brain had already exploded and then there are puppets with puppets and he's giving some kind of puppet show <laughs> to this other gremlin like what the fuck is going on here this is amazing <laughs> merry christmas this is great I, my <sighs> brother-in-law um showed gremlins to our niece uh just last christmas and she mm. was six and he and he kept texting me he's like hey how old, how old were you when you saw gremlins i'm like well i tried to watch when i was five but i was able to when i was six and he's like all right i'm gonna show it to jane and jane likes really macabre weird shit and he was sending me, he was filming her on the phone watching it. She was watching the Mrs. Deagle clip of her just getting launched out the window and just cackling and rewinding it and just kept watching that. And that to me just spoke to what the spirit of Gremlins is, especially in that final stretch. And, and Jane's like a very sweet kid too. She's not, she's not like a... When you're a kid, there is nothing funnier than the sight of adults getting grievously injured. <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously. America's oh, yeah. funniest home videos built. I was about to say. like a 10 season run based on suburban dads getting hit in the nuts, you know? <laughs> like that would yeah. never Man getting so hit by football. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was dying. Hey, my kids still love it. Yeah. Yes, yeah, your kids. I still think it's kind yeah. of funny. Some of you have kids. Like, yeah, have you shown them gremlins or, or not? Oh, no, yeah. not yet. I probably will soon. My, my son's been kind of experimenting with uh, Jurassic Park and like watching that franchise and seeing and he'll he'll be like it's it's a little scary it's not too scary yeah. and then sometimes he'll be like this is too scary so he kind of has an understanding <laughs> of his limits we have some filmmaking friends so ada's like been on film sets at like six and seven years old oh and cool she kind of sees how like the it gets made so like she was watching like things like the thing at age eight like she would sneak down Ooh. to come watch it with me and i'm like look if you have nightmares like that's on you kid i'm not getting up tonight <laughs> you know um so we watched this i think she was probably like six years old when we watched this together you know and like she does a thing where if she's like scared by a movie like she'll talk over it mm. um which is oh, really funny which is like really annoying but then you realize like, that's her way of dealing with it I you know that. i'd say like i once like when she was seven i showed her the clip of texas chainsaw massacre of like franklin dying and i told her like Jeez. And, Jesus I, and I told her like this is this is what happens if you don't eat your vegetables and oh damn, god like, this man <laughs> That's brutal, man. It, it really is. is. I know, so Frank, poor Franklin. I still feel I bad for Franklin. Yeah, so, yeah. It is. It is funny seeing like Gremlins to me is a movie that I yeah I think when you're six and up, you it's, it's mm -hmm. it will still be scary to you, but it's not going to terrorize yeah. you. I don't mm -hmm. think. And you might find some of the humor in it too. I think it's important to like teach kids that scary things can be really fun mm -hmm. at the same time. You know, I think it's you know, and it also can like help kids like okay this is enough like i'm at this level right here but i don't want to go further like same mm -hmm. note my kid will go on haunted hayrides but she won't go in a haunted house because like uh, on a hayride she's on like an enclosed space and no one can get her but in a haunted house they're like no barrier there so i think it's really interesting how kids know how to set that boundary mm -hmm. and then it's really it? important you stick to it it's funny too because with gremlins even thinking about my own experience in a weird way, the movie gets less scary as you go along. Once, mm -hmm. the, because when the point I couldn't get past when I was five was when you see the first gremlin. That was mm -hmm. freaky to me. Mm -hmm. But once I got myself through that, and once you're out of the, like I said, I think that kitchen fight is probably the last 
straightforwardly truly scary moment and then there's some gross parts at the, at mm-hmm. the end with um stripe and the uh the eggs coming out of his back and everything like that mm-hmm. but i think for the most part once they show the gremlins and it goes into looney tune land it's actually less mm-hmm. scary than it is in the beginning and that's an mm-hmm. in- interesting angle for a horror movie like usually right like they get more and more scary as they go on but with this i think by design it gets it almost becomes more of a fun roller coaster once you actually mm-hmm. see the gremlins for yeah. the first time and it's funny because it's structured I- a lot like the howling where you have like very few where oh, you have like a werewolf at first and then by the end you have like a whole barn mm-hmm. full of werewolves and with the you know early on you have like a couple gremlins and they're in the shadows you don't really see them and then by the end it's like that chaos really again. funny how dante really structures the movie kind of the same way and i i think that i it's i i I think he does it very intentionally in a lot of horror movies i find it that that to be true where i'm really scared for like the first three-fourths of it and by the last act it's just kind of like and i i you know earlier in the in the run of the podcast we were talking a lot about why it helps with anxiety and i think that that's a really good encapsulation Mm -hmm. or at least why it helps with my anxiety and i think that's a really good encapsulation of it is like if you just get past a certain point you realize that it's just like bananas ass crazy Mm -hmm. and you'll everything will be fine there's something about that like i'm thinking of the movie like us like Mm -hmm. i think that the first half of that movie is so suspenseful and so terrifying and then by the like last act it's all just like mind fuck batshit craziness you know and i think i i think i'm attracted to that Uh well because you show your monster you know and so the monster Mm -hmm. becomes a quantifiable thing you know and i think Mm -hmm. about like that the scene with the butt that's terrified me (laughs) the the butt staff the scene with the butt (laughs) um like i love the reveal of the creature in that scene and i'm making a claw thing that listeners can't hear but like you just see his claws like reach up and i think now that i think about it it reminds me of the cover of it where you just Mm -hmm. see the claws Mm -hmm. coming out of the sewer grate and that's all you see Mm -hmm. and i think you might see a silhouette but like i was like oh shit like it's gonna stab me in the butt and i still don't know what it is you know and it's not till a couple minutes later i don't know why i'm so obsessed with that but it, it really terrified me <laughs> i think we need it's making me think of basket case now with the frank hennen letter with the, with the little belial's little hand oh yeah out. what were you gonna say Mike? we need I'm a sorry. super yeah. cut of jen saying it's gonna stab me in the butt i know in the butt patreon in the butt in the butt yeah it could be ringtones we'll make a holiday ringtone um one of but right but 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 sorry i'll stop <laughs> um i think but I think, Dan, what you were saying about how, like, nice and snowy. Like, this is the most beautiful snowy Christmas town I may oh, yeah. have ever seen. Like, it's fantastic. But in the very first scene, I think when it won me over was when this kid comes up behind a girl and just nails her in the back of the head with a snowball. And I was like, holy shit, kid, you can't do that. And it's like, I'm on Wait, board for this kid? insane yeah. movie. Like, right at the very beginning, you know. Where they're showing the montage of just everyone around town, Corey mm-hmm. Feldman at the Christmas tree farm and, and all of that. Yeah. Right. The, the movie, I, I love that opening montage because it does, it really just does set the the scene for that. And like, I mean, I know we keep talking about It's a Wonderful Life, but yeah, I mean, they show footage in the movie and I really do think it's, it's, all, it's, it's weird. I want to say it's kind of perverting that by the end of the movie because of all the bad stuff that happens in town. But like mm-hmm. I said, even when everything starts getting destroyed, I still really like the look of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, when they've holed up in, um, is it the bank? I guess they, mm-hmm. they hold up in while, and, um, just a 
So Phoebe Cates can tell that with that weird ass story <laughs> when they leave afterwards um, and Silent Night is playing and mm-hmm. they're just looking at the abandoned streets because all the gremlins are in the movie theater. I mean, I know the town is destroyed, but it's still snowy. It has that bluish hue to it. I love the way that Christmas lights look in this movie. Even when the dog mm-hmm. is strung up, like they just have these really solid bulbs that are really radiant and colorful. Just, yeah, mm-hmm. there's something about mm-hmm. just the light of the movie that really looks almost like a, like a Christmas fantasy land or something. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That last tableau reminds me a lot of Christmas Vacation kind of the, yes. the snowy town and we have a puzzle that's hanging on our wall right now of that tableau and it always reminds me of that and the town looks oh, cool. relatively still normal given all of the destruction that we saw on main street as mr wing is walking down the street what do y'all think is the cruelest moment we talked a lot about how it has a mean streak what do you think is the cruelest moment i think the guy getting um when he's when he's dropping off the mail and he gets his oh mm-hmm. his, that that seems really sadistic to me. <laughs> I mean that guy's kind of a tool bag because you see him earlier in the bank and he's he he just sort of watches Miss Deagle do it, Mrs. Deagle do her thing. So he mm-hmm. seems like kind of a jerk maybe, but I don't know. That I always feel really bad for that guy. I don't I don't yeah. know if, if is there ever a point where it goes too far for any of you in terms of the violence or what they're doing. The only part that bothered me, and it's not actually the gremlins, it's fucking Miss Deagle, like, threatening to kill his dog over and over and over again. Oh, I know. Holy shit. Like, she's, she's like, if the Grinch were rated R, she's that terrible, you know? It's it's so aggressive, like, give me your dog now. And I mean, I get that they're they're doing this to villainize her. It's the kick the dog Mm -hmm. trope, you Mm -hmm. know, but like, it's still just very like, I'd be like, bitch, let him punch you in the mouth. Like, (laughs) like, get the fuck away from me. It does crack me up that he takes his dog to work, though. Like, he's just sitting under the the, the bank desk. And then that conversation that Miss Deagle has with the woman who just like, I just need, and and then like, she's about to get evicted. And then she's like, well, kids, I guess you know what to ask for for Christmas now it's so over the top and on the nose it's almost like a cartoon and it's hilarious when they walk away don't the kids even go I'm hungry and she's like I know sweetie me too (laughs) right like (laughs) yes I'm oh, hungry, no. mommy. It's very Simpsons-y. Like, yeah. they, all, yeah. they could have had some kid with like a little tiny Tim Kane or something. Like, um, <laughs> Well, okay, the final battle is also amazing. And not just because yeah. of how cute Gizmo is, but um, <laughs> I was thinking like one of the, the fantastic things about being married to me is I watch Die Hard, and for the <laughs> next month, I say something. He got a something. Ho, ho, ho. And so in my notes, I wrote, now Gizmo has a chainsaw. Ho, ho, ho. Because it's so, I was like, fuck, a chainsaw. It's just so like, it's one crazy moment after another crazy moment that somehow manages to up the craziness. And it's just There's like awesome. a crossbow, a chainsaw. A right. Saw, isn't he throwing saw blades at Billy? Yeah, yeah. Too? But they're all like yeah. miniature. They're like gizmos or like gremlin sized, you know? <laughs> well, they got, they, they. Maybe they give birth to the the clothes and the tiny chainsaw. I mean, it makes as know, much sense to, as gremlins in general, you know? Why not? Right. I love right. that the guns are all little puppet guns, too. Yeah, because if Stray was holding a gun, it would be like, he's right. got him, yeah. Yeah, when he starts shooting the gun, it's like, whoa, shit. Right. Oh, carry on, sorry. I just love him driving the little convertible. Me, too. I wrote Adventure Gizmo. It's so adorable. It's a great image. It's, it's a great so image. It's so cute. It's a pink Barbie car. It's like, oh. I also love the part where um, Corey Feldman is calling up the radio to tell what's happening. He's like, hey, kids, this is Christmas, not Halloween. And then, like, they get killed <laughs> on the air. It's just mm-hmm. it's amazing. Isn't that, uh, is that, is it, what's, what's his name? Uh, it's, um, 
It's a real oh, DJ really? that Wolfman was like a real, ra- real radio personality, mm-hmm. I think, because he was listed in IMDb as like, ah, oh, fuck. I'd have to yeah, look it up a, again. Yeah, I'm going to look it up on my phone. It, it's not, well, because on Losers Club, we always, Randall always says Rock and Randall, but oh, yeah. I don't think it's Rock and I don't think it's. It is. It's, it, it is. It's Rock and Rock and it's I, like. Rock and Casey Kasem. I, I, I never asked if, Rand, if uh, Randall got it from, from Gremlins, but. Uh, Let's see if it's uh, Rock and Ricky. Is it Rock, rock and Ricky? That's what I'm thinking of now. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, let's see. Does he, yeah, does he say he's like Rock and Ricky's sick of these? Like he's speaking about some of the third person as he gets murdered by Grimlocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. We've mentioned Corey Feldman a couple times, and I know he's like not a massive part of this movie, but he's the sidekick. Mm-hmm. But can we take a minute to acknowledge like Corey Feldman's 1984 to 1987 murder slate of movies <laughs> that he was in? Yeah. So. He's, you know, stars in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, is little Tommy Jarvis. And he's like the best thing about mm-hmm. that movie. He goes from that to like Stand By Me, to Goonies, to Gremlins, to The Lost Boys. Man. I mean, and I know I got the order there wrong. I was going to say, it was, you know, was Gremlins, because it would be weird if you did Gremlins like after all those other movies, right? Like, was this an earlier a smaller one? Part. Gremlins is this 84. Would have been the one, yeah. 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 Same year as the final mm-hmm. chapter. But then after that, he's like working. He's, I think then he did Goonies, then he did Stand by Me, then he did um, The Lost Boys. Like that is an absolute murderer's mm. row yeah. of movies, right yeah. there. Seriously, and he's great in all of them. Like he's like so good in right. these movies. Like Stand by Me, he's amazing in. You know, and it's like it's kind of I don't want to say tragic, but it's kind of really it's upsetting the ter- career tra- trajectory that. Feldman kind of went yeah. off, unfortunately, after well, this. Yeah, I mean, he's the classic story of, like, the child actor yeah. that right, yeah. fell on her yeah. times. It, it's so it's almost weird seeing him in Gremlins every time because I, I think of all those movies, it's definitely the smallest part he has, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I know it Goonies is, yeah. is an ensemble, Stand By Me is an ensemble, but um, he has big parts in those movies, right? And Lost mm-hmm. Boys, mm-hmm. he's, like, super memorable, but here is pete he's yeah he's really just in the beginning of it but he's great i mean i love the way how he interacts with gizmo and hey he's the one who uh he spills the water right he's responsible for the for all these uh all these all these little Mm -hmm. jerk gremlins uh and he wears a christmas tree too that's fun you know yeah i I was always like is that a christmas tree he's gonna sell to people or is that just a costume he's wearing or (laughs) i think it's a costume also so you can like lurk in the trees and scare people that's what i would do if I yeah. Christmas tree. It was foresh- foreshadowing for the that Gremlins. That is true. Yeah. Ah, yes, it is. <laughs> missed, that, missed opportunity that they don't have a sequence at the Christmas tree farm. I think that would have been really freaky. Just That's them, true. Corey Feldman and his dad running really for their good. lives. From... A bunch of them coming out of the trees. Yeah, totally. yeah that would be, be super cool. Well, I mean, there's going to be an animated series, so maybe. Yeah, when's that coming out? I was actually just thinking about that. But uh, I think it's next year. Yeah. Because when, when well, all the HBO Max shit was coming out today, like I saw that's going to be part of it is the prequel nice. series, I think. Is, isn't it about, it's about Mr. Wing, but as a little kid, right? He's a little kid and he's going around having adventures with, with uh, Gizmo, I think. The last I heard, I think that's what it's going to be. Something Although like I, that, yeah. That's that's kind of yeah. interesting. That's a, a, chan- a chance to, to do some things differently. Right. Yeah, with, especially with that character, yeah. too. Yeah, and not, right. not with James mm-hmm. Unless it's with the grandson. But no, I think it's him. I think it's Mr. Wing when he's, like, younger. Going yeah, I think with, that's right. With yeah. Gizmo. Like, Gizmo's origin story, which would be fun. Because Gizmo is so... So how old is Gizmo, then? Uh, I think well, he's supposed to be... Like, because Mr. Wing is old. Yeah, I think I think he's supposed to be hundreds of years old. I know in the Gremlins novel... It's like a... Oh, sorry, Gadlar. <laughs> I was gonna say it's like a baby Yoda situation yeah. where he just ages really slowly. Yeah. yeah. Did you say the did novelization? 
Yeah, so in the novelization of Gremlins in the 80s, <laughs> I I don't think it's canon or anything, but in the novelization, it talks in the <laughs> beginning about how some evil scientist on a planet made the Gremlin or made the Mogwai mm-hmm. as an experiment, but then they started to like act badly and that and then they got exiled or something. So I guess oh they're like aliens. So they're critters. Yeah, they're so essentially they they're, are little they're the like critters, yeah. They, the the Krites. It's like the Gremlins and the Mogwai mixed together are the Krites. Yeah, it's it, I know, yeah. I haven't and I haven't actually read it. I just I've read that online that he they're I think he created them out of mud or something. I've I have no idea. Um, oh, they're like golems. Kind of, maybe oh a little God. bit. Yeah, like they're sculpted out of clay, and he tries to get them to do what he wants, but then they yeah, and he puts a little bit of blood yeah. and jizz yeah. in there, and then they come to <laughs> that life. makes it more powerful. So- is there the is there jizz in, go- in a golem? I didn't, I didn't know if you that. you do it right, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you could. It goes in through the butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you dab the forehead with blood and the butt with. <laughs> and it, come, it becomes a gremlin. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> Merry Christmas! Oh. <laughs> That's. That's my Lara's Jewish moment <laughs> for the, for the podcast. <laughs> oh gosh. What do we think of Phoebe Cates's speech? I know we touched on it a little bit. I, uh, I, <laughs> I actually really enjoy that. And I like the, uh, it was one of the things I want to talk about a little bit later when we get to our uplift, uplifting moment is I like the acknowledgement that Christmas is really hard for a lot of people. And, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. Danny had asked if I just don't like Christmas. And this year I've been pretty sour on it for the last couple of years just because of some family stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's been one of these these kind of experiences of like, oh, I don't have like maybe it's not so magical. And maybe a lot of what I thought was magical about it was kind of a facade, you know. And so I really appreciate that acknowledgement. I don't love how she says when they're opening presents, other people are opening their wrists. I just kind of that <laughs> was a little yeah. off putting. It was a little. I was like, hey. yeah. it's a bit. It's a, that that felt very. That felt very. It did. Written. It did. Like, feel oh, very that was written. that was a line Especially of dialogue. Especially coming from Phoebe Cates. Yeah. 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 It felt right. Right. It definitely felt written by like fourteen-year-old goth kids. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Chris Columbus yes. was pretty I think, young when he wrote this. I think he was like right out of college, mm-hmm. and he wrote it. Um, well, this was a spec yeah. script that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. That he and didn't I, I read intend the original to make. Script. It's not very good, and like the ideas really? are there. Like the the conceit of what gremlins are is there, and Gizmo is there, which is really cool. But the dialogue is horrible. I, I can't remember if that wrist slitting line is is in there yeah that yeah. it's funny because i do like christmas a lot but i have noticed as i've gotten older i, I don't want to say i enjoy it less necessarily but it becomes more complicated and, and there's more mm-hmm. pressure around it i think as you get older when you're a kid and i recognize that not all kids get to have good christmases right and mm-hmm. maybe some kids don't like it but when i was a kid I, I did love it you know and it was you're just kind of worrying about gifts and getting to see your family in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a low stakes non-pressure way and then when you get older and you have to worry about you know financial situations and okay whose family are we seeing and do i have to contend mm-hmm. with this person whose opinions i don't agree with and just and and and, mm. and i think just having a bigger awareness of all the problems in the world like christmas during a pandemic right like it, it mm-hmm. just yeah i feel like i feel at least for me christmas has felt more complicated as i've gotten older and i and i think i like that speech because of it because it, it speaks mm-hmm. to the the darker side of christmas that maybe we all experience a little bit as we age yeah, yeah. And I'm having like a reverse of that because, well, I'm Jewish for starters, but my my mom is Jewish and my dad was sort of a lapsed Catholic, but they sent me to Catholic school for eight years. So, but my mom very much made me aware that like, no, you're Mm. Jewish. Mm. We're just sending you to the school so we don't send you to the public school. (laughs) So you got to maintain your Jewish identity. And so I just had like 
I mean, that whole thing was just just a fucking shit show, and I was very badly bullied at this school, you know. And uh, and then so like I just would associate Christmas and the winter time with just feeling intensely sad mm. and feeling isolated and seeing all these people celebrating and all these lights, these twinkling mm. lights, and feeling like it was something that I was othered from. And so, I mean, obviously I liked like getting presents and we would have like, we had the little like advent wreath next to the menorah, you know, on our table and all this kind of shit inside. But like, I don't know, like, I think it's like my first memories of depression and like, especially like seasonal depression are really associated and tied up with Christmas. And like, and so I absolutely fucking hated Christmas for most Mm -hmm. of my life and the whole season and had like a very negative reaction to it. But as I've gotten older, I feel like I've calmed down toward that a little Mm -hmm. bit. And this is the first year, and I don't know if it's just being, like, locked in my apartment or whatever, but I'm, like, been kind of wanting to put up, like, little Christmas lights mm. and, like, mm-hmm. shit like that. And just, just said, and then, like, I have a menorah and just kind of, you know, it's more of the aesthetic thing. Like, even my grandma, who was, like, fully very Jewish, always had a little Christmas tree just because she mm-hmm. liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's like, it's pretty. So, I don't know. I'm, like, for some reason, I'm having, like, a weird shit in reverse with it. But that's true of a lot of things mm-hmm. in, my, in my life, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think there's so much pressure to make Christmas like this perfect mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. where everyone mm-hmm. is happy and everyone gets along. And then there's all this, there's this massive buildup to the season. And it seems like that gets extended more and more every year where like Christmas displays start going up like early October. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Christmas music yeah. gets played earlier and earlier. And you have like these channels that just do like 24 hours of Christmas music. I'm oh, sorry, Christmas, <laughs> Christmas movies. And there's all this pressure, and then it's like one day, and then it's mm-hmm. gone. It's and then it's like all of that build up for what mm-hmm. at that point, which is really hard. I would say like, and I know like last year was probably the first year in a long time that I actually allowed myself to slow down. And part of it was like, all right, no more grad school. We're balancing an internship and like three jobs. I'm no longer working a job where I'm like on the road a lot. Before that. It was like I got to get a Christmas break where we get almost two weeks off through the school system. And I got to like really enjoy the season. And it was like goddamn delight. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, we just did a little bit of something like every day and like made it our thing. And I know my wife is from England and Christmas in England is actually pretty mm-hmm. wonderful because there's like they actually say, hey, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't work people to death and actually you know like nothing is really <laughs> nothing is really going to happen between christmas and new year's day like you're on your own have mm-hmm. fun and it's just like they have a tradition there where you like after you have your presents you go down to the local pub and as a town you celebrate Aww. together over some mm-hmm. drinks and it's just really nice so we were supposed to go back this year and my my wife hasn't been back to see her family since last summer in 2019 she usually goes for like six weeks with my daughter and we were really looking forward to going this year and now we can't Mm. do that so it's a little bit sad and i'm trying to think of things we can do to kind of make it special but my god it's it's hard you watch gremlins you can't (laughs) but i'll tell you what we can't watch is christmas vacation because i offered to take her to the drive-in tomorrow night for a double header of die hard which is her favorite movie (laughs) in christmas vacation She's like, I don't really like Christmas vacation. I'm like, well, you can sleep oh, on the man. That is one of my so. favorites. Let's just say my younger son was yeah. almost named um, Clark. Oh, man. I, okay. I don't for love... I wrote, a, I wrote a COS article about this a while ago, and I got so much shit for mm-hmm. it. I don't like Clark's constantly 
thinking about cheating on his wife in the movie that mm-hmm. in all those yes. all those movies not just like that always bugs me it's just he's really a lot right. weird yeah it's like it's not and it's yeah. it's not like not that i have a problem with seeing people cheating in movies like that happens or but but it, it is mm-hmm. weird that he's this idealized family man and they don't they and in the first movie he kind of spins it to make it his wife's fault mm-hmm. for not showing mm-hmm. him it to, i don't know it's but yeah. outside of that i love christmas vacation but i always i've always struggled with the those you can just literally take out those like two scenes in all those movies but yeah also Beverly D'Angelo is. I'd love to come home to Beverly. Yeah, right. she got that keyhole <laughs> blouse, you know. Come on! Oh my goodness! <laughs> yeah, it's such a thing. It doesn't help that Chevy Chase has not really grown into a beloved older actor statesman. No, no he's right. one of the most noted pieces of shit. Like, <laughs> right. Like I feel like if he, he was really like is. Tom Hanks or something, I feel like we kind of look at that character with a little more compassion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. And I like the character outside of that. That's what right. sucks about. It. I'm like, oh, yeah. I love him throughout the whole movie. It's just those like two little things. But anyway, that, that and now Randy Quaid, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, if Randy Quaid, Chevy Chase, <laughs> and uh, who's another one? Walk into a right. Bar. <laughs> Mel Gibson, uh, uh, Chrissy. No, 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 the one that plays the first Buffy in the movie. Oh, oh Chrissy Swanson. Yeah. Yeah. Swanson. Christy Swanson. Yeah. Well, but what I think is interesting about that movie, kind of to tie it back to what we're talking about, is how like Chevy Chase is trying so hard to make like a perfect Christmas, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I love about Corey and has kind of been the saving grace for Christmas these last couple of years when I've just really not been into it is he really looks for ways to like make our own traditions, you know. And like I'm not doing things as a kid in my family anymore. Now I'm doing things as a new family, and we're like. We're of our traditions mm-hmm. now is to drive around and look at Christmas lights and get coffee. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's And the I best. mean, I kind of have had a, re- a little bit of a reversal on Gremlins and it's now kind of eking its way into one of my Christmas watches because it's just so fucking insane and I just love it. And it's got that mean streak that I'm kind of looking for now where like, I don't really <laughs> want to watch the happy schmaltzy Hallmark Christmas, you know, I want to watch some shit go down, you know? Well, you should lo- you should watch Christmas Evil and Rare Exports. <laughs> oh my That's God, my Rare Exports is like it turns into like a holiday <laughs> Rambo I movie. I keep hearing about that. Yeah, it's uh, amazing. It's so Go it's in so knowing Could- nothing about it too. It's Could- so- yeah, yeah. Ever, I've, yeah. I, I've like heard it come up like several times the past. I'm gonna write this down now. It's really yeah, good. Christmas Evil. Christmas Evil is almost just like sad. It's it's scary, <laughs> but it's also just like oh, it's it is. So it's sad. it's a. It reminds me of um, the original Maniac. Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. this, this really intense portrait of like mm-hmm. a broken, fragmented mind, yeah. you know? But uh, that's why I like it. So, and, the, and the ending of that movie just oh, is so fucking bananas. It's so weird. It, like, I love it's, it. Yeah. I, I just really like that. I genuinely think that's like a weirdly good movie. Yeah, like, I agree. It's on yeah. Shudder. Is I'm it? I'm not a Shudder. Sh- mm-hmm. Chill. I'm not. I mean, I love Shudder, but I'm not like. <laughs> hey, I'm big not Shudder. Are you want to sponsor us? Please. <laughs> if you want to just start giving I mean, yeah, we'll take it. Send me a paycheck, right. Shutter. I really love. I mean, like, I my one of my like Christmas memories growing up, and we're not even talking Gremlins now, so I apologize. <laughs> it's like my own, my dad would like read to my sister and I like a Christmas Carol every mm-hmm. year, like over, a, and he would always like time it to end. Like we always hosted a Christmas Eve party where all the relatives come, so he would like wrap it up just as the first gifts guests were coming oh. in for the party, um, and he would always get like teary eyed when Tiny Tim when the ghost of Christmas future, like, you know, pretends that Tiny Tim doesn't make it, you know, and I think one of my favorite Christmas movies is The Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, yes. The definitive adaptation. Right, so because good. I, I mm-hmm. just feel like Michael Caine is on mushrooms the whole movie and just goes with it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it has to be, right? I really, uh, I, I really that. like I to that. think that that's like, he's like high on peyote and just like, 
interacting with Kermit <laughs> and Gonzo. <laughs> well, is there anything else we want to mention about Gremlins as we're kind of wrapping up and moving on to other movies? Or did we the kind dad's of... a dick. Oh my gosh, the dad drives oh, me fucking insane. I love the dad. I mean, he's kind of a dick, but yeah, I like him. Hoyt yeah. Axon. He's just pointless. I mean, the actor is great, but I'm like... I love mm-hmm. the actor. It's one of those things where I really like the actor in the performance, but if you like assess on paper mm-hmm. <laughs> this dad's presence in their right. life, you're like, oh, Jesus And I love Christ. how there's he's always the road, just kind yeah. of like the eye roll when, you know, they're like, yeah, just just use the, mm-hmm. the you know, you can just buy I, orange juice, right? I do love the <laughs> moment. It's so small, but it's when Billy's talking to his mom and, and, and she's like crying during It's a Wonderful Life and he's kind of learning that maybe financially things aren't great. And then you hear the dad come home and you hear him singing. And then his mom is just like, oh, let's not talk about it now. And then they're like locked into Christmas mode. There's something mm-hmm. so true about that moment. Mm-hmm. Just about, like you said, having to make this, I mean, I guess it's not Christmas Eve by that point, but still the, the season having to make this perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like you learn everything about that family within that little exchange right there. Mm-hmm. But like the mom and, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, and the son in the kitchen being concerned the dad comes home and they try and lighten up and then they all enjoy the holiday together yeah it's just I don't, it's like this little exchange that always just yeah. is super authentic to me, mm-hmm. to me totally it's like the whole family is a support mechanism for him to, <laughs> to his kooky live shit about his right. dreams yeah. So yeah it's like a crazy adventure right. <laughs> and he's but he's really bad at like, <laughs> and it, it seems to mainly work for them you know like i mean because they they don't mention the mom working right so I'm no. guessing they're just going off of Billy and the dad's income. And Billy's making a bank salary. It's probably not horrible. And I, I don't imagine rent is super high in right. Kingston Falls, Ohio. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. Well, um, it was probably mm-hmm. at a time where you could buy a home for like $20,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was before everything. All of our dreams mm-hmm. were completely crushed and, and <laughs> rendered. Right. Before our generation, yeah. yeah. I he- do like the, da- <laughs> the dad when he's at the invention convention and you see like Robbie the robot and you see um, mm-hmm. George Lucas is in the phone booth next to him. There's all... There's like a lot of nice like Spielbergian Amblin mm-hmm. kind of nods to it, and yep. there's something mm-hmm. I know. I, even though the dad's inventions don't work, there's something visually very appealing about them. Even yeah. the way the toothpaste oh, squirts yeah. out, like, I, don't, I don't know. There's something very Pee Wee's Playhouse about it that there, I yeah. like. I was about to say Pee Wee's, and several times during this episode, I kept thinking to bring up Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but couldn't because we were talking about the Mr. T cereal earlier, and then it's like that Rube Goldberg machine that he has <laughs> in the oh, beginning yeah, of that movie, that. which is one of my favorite sequences in anything mm-hmm. ever. And yeah, there's like I so I could see like this really appealing to kids for that reason too. It's just all these like gadgets. Right. <laughs> well, know? it's all it's Tim always Burton fun. Was considered to direct this. Oh, but... he would have been good too. Yeah, He's... that would have really. Yeah. Made... He's but done he had several done dark Christmas yet. movies. Like, yeah, he, like yes. Edward Scissorhands. I just rewatched Batman Returns. I mean, he, he's mm-hmm. another one who does really dark yeah. Christmas movies very well. I love Batman Returns. I, I just watched it's it, It's so too. good. Yeah. It's like my second favorite Batman movie. I, I think it holds up so well, mm-hmm. too. I think so, too. Is that the one with Michelle Pfeiffer? It is, it is yeah. yeah. And 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 Oswald Cobblepot, uh, the penguin. <laughs> he's yeah. so foul. He's disgusting. Foul. He's so he's F O W L. Yes, <laughs> Christopher Walken. Yeah, every there's. I mean, that movie is just hit after hit. Yeah. Cast, ugh, I fucking love it. So I much. haven't seen it in forever. Maybe I'll have to add oh, it this year. It's on. It's uh, worth a rewatch. HBO Max. Yeah, I, I really? recommend. It's I worth I, the watch. Yeah, I rewatched it for Slay Samar, and uh, it's um yeah, it holds up really. I and I actually think the message of that movie holds up very well too. Like really? I don't. I don't know. I think it's I think it's like sort of I feel like people throw around the term like, oh, it's like a feminist movie, like really loosely, you know, mm-hmm. and there's definitely some issues with the movie. But I actually do think especially for superhero movies at the time, it's a lot, a lot more progressive than some of them were um, mm-hmm. with the character oh my God. of that woman. Yeah. 
I Catwoman was my literally my hero because I I saw that movie in theaters and I'll say this very briefly but I was obsessed with Catwoman mm-hmm. and Michelle Pfeiffer and I remember me and my friend Pia running around the playground both pretending to be cat we were somehow both Catwoman mm-hmm. and we were gonna <laughs> find and kill Batman and like but I don't know we just like really it was very like 90s girl power mm-hmm. like kind of shit yeah. you know and I just I fucking loved that shit so. yeah that's really good I definitely need to revisit this movie well and now it's time for an uplifting moment And this is where we share any coping or grounding techniques we're using these days or any self-care. We say it a lot, but I just want to remind everyone there's no one right way to do self-care. And we know that not everything we mention is going to be available to everyone. But it's really important to take care of ourselves, especially around the holidays. For some of the reasons that we mentioned earlier, it's just a really emotional time. And sometimes the days we're supposed to feel the most joy can be really hard. And I imagine lots of us are having a very different holiday this year. So please make sure you're taking care of yourself and know that you are not alone. Even if you are physically alone on the holiday, you're not alone. Um, I also wanted to mention um, something called a blue Christmas service. Have you guys heard of those? I just learned about them this year. There's their Christmas services specifically designed for people who have lost loved ones. So, and it's kind of more like a melancholy service. There's, I don't know if that's fair to say there's like an element of remembrance in it. Um, and it's, if you are kind of, if you've lost someone recently and you're, you still kind of want to celebrate, but you don't know if you're down for all of the joy, 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 then maybe Google blue Christmas service. I bet you could probably find an online one too, or like a zoom one that might be really helpful and comforting and have a friend who lost her mom when she was young and she went to a lot of blue Christmas services and that's where I heard about them. Oh, so it's like a church, like a, uh, like a a thing you go to. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a Christmas Eve service that is just specifically for people who Mm. are grieving. I read this article last Christmas, which weirdly last Christmas doesn't feel that long ago because that was pretty (laughs) shortly before the pandemic happened. So Mm -hmm. it feels like the last real thing I did but um right I think it was in the New York Times that was talking about um looking at Christmas or or the holiday season winter in general the way that you're able to experience the joy is also if you're able to reflect on things and and Mm -hmm. reflect on some of the darkness of the year and whether it's losing someone or just the hardships you've had in the year it was it was really moving to me and I've Mm I've I mean it's only been a year but I've, I try to look at the holidays like that like not just yeah it is a time to be joyous and see family although maybe maybe not this year mm-hmm. um but it's also a time to like it, it's okay it's okay to hold some of those darker feelings and mm-hmm. by dark I mean just loneliness and questioning <laughs> questioning um your purpose in life and just like allowing yourself to reflect on that a little bit and mm-hmm. I don't know that was very helpful for for me last year and but yeah. so blue the, yeah. this blue Christmas thing reminds me of that a little bit yeah well, does anyone have any grounding or self-care that they would like to share? Um, I've just been kind of, as usual, <laughs> struggle. I'm on the struggle bus, you know, over here. Uh, but I don't. I was talking to my therapist the other day, and there was this phrase that I got out of it, which sounds so cliche and so stupid, but it like struck me as really profound mm. at that moment when I probably because I was like sobbing and. I just needed to have something to, you know, um, it's like I've just been feeling like really down on myself because I'm not able to accomplish all these things that I would like to accomplish. I'm feeling physically shitty about Mm -hmm. myself because I haven't been working out enough. And I know that for me, that tends to spiral. And she basically said, like, you know, focus on don't focus on these big goals. Mm -hmm. Right. Focus on what you can do today and tomorrow. And like, that's it. 
And if you can get 1% better at something, like that's that should just be your goal tomorrow. Mm. So what does 1% one, 1 look like? Whether that's like, I didn't walk at all yesterday, so tomorrow I'm going to walk like around the block mm -hmm. or what have you. And that's just an example. And if you just really, really focus on those little incremental moments, that makes it a lot easier to digest. And I know that sounds like super obvious. And it's something I always say to myself, like, take things one step at a time, blah, blah, blah. But I just came out of it with saying like, okay, one day at a time, 1% at a time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just rang true to me in my head, even though now the next day it sounds dumb but <laughs> but honestly it helped me at that moment and I'm like okay I can do that I can fucking do that I can fucking do that and so I had talked last time about starting a gratitude journal or what have you and I'm thinking of like making one of the bullets like I've been trying to do like three bullets mm -hmm. and like maybe one of the bullets is like that what is that one percent mm -hmm. thing that mm -hmm. I did and um making it seem a lot more manageable and I can feel a lot less hard on myself about it it's just something as simple as that. I like that. It's a nice little mantra to keep in your head, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of joy. I mean, that, yeah, like any, anyone, yeah, it's been a difficult year. Finishing grad school this year was weird going out into the find a job world, especially in, <laughs> in theater, which is just does not exist right now, you know. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, there's a lot more. There are people who have had much harder times than me and have lost more than me. But, yeah, I think I, I felt like my confidence being shaken this year in a way that it hasn't before. Like, I'm usually a pretty confident person. But, yeah, so it's been a little bit, bit of a roller coaster of a year. But specifically for the holidays, I mean, I'm, typical self-care is, you know, ASMR, surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> just walking my dog, you know, try, try and exercise where I can. But, yeah, I've, I've definitely fallen off on that. But for the I don't know for the holiday season this might be uber specific but um I I do like Christmas music a lot but the album mm -hmm. I've really gotten into this year has it's just called Christmas it's by Low and Low are are known for being they're from Minnesota that they, they were known for being slowcore which I guess mm -hmm. they actually don't like <laughs> as a genre title but like they they were they were the band that they would play bars. And when people told them to play faster and louder, they would actually turn their music down more. Like that's the kind of band there. Last time I saw them live was actually like in a church. But anyway, they have this album called Christmas, and there's a few originals on there, and then a this really staticky, shoegazy cover of Little Drummer Boy. And I don't know, for me, I've always liked that album, but it's been so fitting for this holiday season because it's familiar songs. So it does let it does allow you to enjoy it from the the typical traditional Christmas standpoint. But there is an underlying sadness to it that I actually find really helpful. Mm, and it's not mm -hmm. it's not depressing at all, I, I would say. It's more just what we were saying. It's a little bit melancholic. It's very reflective. Mm -hmm. I feel I feel like it's allowing me to look up back on the year and not be bitter toward everything that happened this year. So yeah, that's mm. that's my musical recommendation is Christmas by Low. Nice. And I'm not the band's PR manager. Although that would be cool. I would not but that would be a good job to have actually. Hey, if you're <laughs> looking for a PR manager, Low. Check us out. Yeah, I'm, I'm your man. Yeah. We know right. you're. We know you're listening. Right. I think they're signed to like Sub Pop or Matador or something. I'm sure mm -hmm. they have. They have yeah, you know, good people handling their stuff. But yeah, they're great. So I've been using like these different grounding techniques. I find like a lot of times my thoughts are always going in a million different directions. Mm -hmm. And I think like to what you said, Laura, like one day at a time, one percent, and focus on one little thing. Like you know between like doing this show and my other podcast and my therapy job and the school counseling gig. And like right now for school counseling, it's like we are doing like all the stuff to get families 
food and presents and winter coats that otherwise won't have them. So you're constantly calling and like emailing. Long story short, like my brain is always going in a million different directions and it's really hard to focus on like one thing and then tasks don't get done. So I do these like various grounding techniques. And one that I use a lot is called like the five senses where I'll start with, and it's five, four, three, two, one, basically. I'll start with like five different things in my room that I can see. And I try to look for things I wouldn't necessarily focus on. So today in my office, I'm like, oh, there's like these strings that are still up in the corner from the old curtains that I have never taken down. And there's like a He-Man lunchbox that's tucked behind my computer bag filled with pens. So I look for things I wouldn't normally focus on. And then I, after that, I close my eyes and listen for four things, you know, whether it's like the hum of the heater, whether it's a conversation around the corner, whether it's like, a, you know, just like the crackling from the computer speakers, whatever. I just try to hear four things. Then it's like three things I physically feel. Um, and I don't mean feelings. I mean, like, you know, is there a pebble in my shoe right now? Do I feel the tag? Then it's like two things that I can smell. And it's usually the really bad the really bad hand sanitizer that they have provided for us. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. toxically awful smelling. And then one thing I can take, so I'll pop like a mint. And I find like I'll take two minutes and do that and really slow myself down and allow those, just focus on that, those things that I'm in in that moment. And by the time it's done, I have at least bought myself some time to say, okay, these are the important tasks at hand right now. Let me at least try to knock through two of these right now before my brain starts going in a million different directions again and i found that that's that's one of the things i use and it's been it's been really helpful i think one of the hard things this year is often feeling like like willy wonka said so much to do so little time to do it Mm -hmm. he said the opposite of that but then strike that reverse it (laughs) and i often feel like that like i don't know how we're gonna get every single thing done today and the last thing on that is like I give myself permission if it doesn't all get done, mm-hmm. that's all right. Like you know, it's it'll get done the next day. That's been a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Like I just I mm-hmm. can't too. get through all this stuff. I signed up for Noom. Have you heard of that thing? It's, yeah, I've, it's been advertised to me a lot, and I've thought about yeah. it. So I'm curious because mm-hmm. I've been sitting a lot, and there's a lot of candy around my house, and. You know, and I have this thing where like it being part of being like a highly sensitive person is that like my clothes really, really affect my mood. And like if something feels mm-hmm. tight around my waist, like it just really puts me in a bad mood all day. And so I one of the and I really like it. It's really cool. And it's really rooted in cognitive behavioral therapy, which mm-hmm. is fascinating to hear to like see it kind of in action, given what we've been talking about on some of the episodes. But What I wanted to share is that I've been eating more fruits and vegetables and I didn't until I started tracking it. I didn't realize how little of them I was eating and it has made me feel a lot better. You know, I think I just I I have a little more energy and I haven't really been like taking a bunch of stuff out of my diet. I just started to add them in. And then after Thanksgiving, I went down like for real only eating sweet potato casserole all day long and then like only (laughs) eating birthday cake all day long and and I that was when I really noticed 
And I'm not saying that's bad because, you know, sweet potato casserole is fucking amazing. But like the marshmallows on the top. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's like vegetables with marshmallows. It's the best. (laughs) Um, But I did start to notice like the cumulative not feeling good happening again. And I was like, okay, it's time for me to just I I need to go back to just eating an apple instead of eating like something with marshmallows on top of it, you know, and it was just (laughs) it was interesting. And I'm not saying don't ever eat that because that's kind of one of the important lessons of this program is like, don't don't take things that give you joy out of your diet. Cause like I wanted to eat a bunch of birthday cake and I had been looking forward to it and I did. And now I'm ready to kind of start eating things that make me feel a little better. But it was just interesting (laughs) to notice what an effect it had on my, my head, not even necessarily my body, but it just like, it made me feel better. Yeah. You know, so hundred percent. I'm there with you. I've I've been down that road a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, so that's my stuff. Well, we want to know what you think. What is your grounding in self-care? What's uh, what's going on with you right now? Uh, do you love gremlins too? Um, have you invented anything wacky lately? And you can share your thoughts with us by following us on socials at PsychoAPod. You can also join the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group on Facebook where we post the homework question, questions of the day, and, you know, whatever else we can kind of think of. Um, it's a private and moderated group, and it's just filled with amazingly kind and supportive people. I see people posting about, like, having a hard time with something and then, like, a silly meme, you know. So it's just kind of a really sweet, positive place. And you can also join the Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy family group, which is a listener created, but there's a lot of overlap in who's in those groups. And just, again, another really supportive and kind place to kind of talk about some of the stuff that we talk about in these episodes. Both are private and moderated. So our homework question for this week is, what gift do you remember getting as a child? What was your favorite gift that you remember? Was it a hot dog whistle or maybe a a wacky... (laughs) like alien creature or something yeah did you did you get a gizmo did you get a gizmo yeah and I bet some of you probably did get gizmos maybe not real gizmos Mm -hmm. but you know (laughs) so yeah I will post prompts to that and we want to know and or anything else you want to share with us just let us know you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com And so now to talk about what we are watching next. And I think that we have all been very good this year in a very difficult year. And this is dropping on Christmas Eve. There might just be a special bonus episode waiting for you on Christmas morning, which is tomorrow, given when you're listening to this. There might just be an episode of Bob Clark's Not a Christmas Story, but Black Christmas in your stocking. It is Bob Clark, right? Mm-hmm. Just want to make yeah. sure. Okay, right. cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sometimes you have those moments and you're like, like, oh, fuck. Said, uh, Larry Clark's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Clark Griswold, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there might just be that episode. And we might just have a special guest with us to talk about it. Joe Lipsit from Horror Queers is joining us to talk about Black Christmas. I'm really excited. Yay. Yes. I Excellent. hope we're all still good until Santa gets there so that we can enjoy that episode. Sorry, that that under the tree thing is played out, I think. <laughs> um, so <laughs> look for that in your stocking tomorrow. When and has that ever stopped us? I, that's true. I mean, my humor is running <laughs> things into the ground. So, you know. 
<laughs> um, we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us here and there along with lots of other great pods, including the Losers Club and Halloweenies, going there with Dr. Mike. And I think Bob fucking Odenkirk was just on an episode of The Assembly, which is so cool. Wow. I know. So it's like a Mr. Show reunion. So cool. So make sure you check that out. And you can also find you can find these pods along with a lot of cool writing on consequenceofsound.com. And speaking of Halloweenies and the Losers Club, Dan, where can listeners find you? And can you please tell us about Slay SMR? Definitely. I feel like I should call it Slay, at, like S-L-E-I-G-H-S-M-R right. for this <laughs> oh, month, yeah, just but for I haven't this, done yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you can find me on both the Losers Club, a horror franchise podcast, and, oh, sorry, Halloweenies, <laughs> a horror franchise podcast, and Stephen King, God damn it, I'm like messing all up. You know what? Stephen King is a horror franchise in himself, right? But the Losers Club, the Stephen King podcast, <laughs> Halloween is a horror franchise podcast. We're always pumping out content. Um, and yes, yeah, so Slay ASMR is an ASMR channel I started this year um, based around, I actually got a commission early on in the year to create a virtual play for Zoom. And I've always been into ASMR. And so my wife and I created this kind of ASMR session that goes wrong and yeah, becomes this, this very anxious play. Oh, and cool. so we got all That's this equipment. Yeah, it was super fun. We, uh, we had a really good time. And we got this commission, so we were able to get a good mic and some, you know, the equipment we needed. And so, yeah, I decided to start an actual slay, uh, ASMR channel this year, which is pretty much me. I mean, it is. It's just me every week whispering about a different horror movie, um, whispering my analysis on it. There is one <laughs> uh, week where I did a... Uh, Dr. Loomis role play where I'm playing Dr. Loomis talking to a young <laughs> Michael Myers giving him a psychiatric <laughs> it's, it's I know and I, I want to recognize that ASMR is definitely not for everyone my mm. my wife like wants to vomit when she hears it she thinks it's oh, really? so gross sounding yeah I think that whispering is is just not everyone's bag which I totally get I, um, I have a weird reaction to I it do. as we have discussed on, <laughs> on Twitter, Twitter. <laughs> was, yeah Lara posted about it, and I did not at all think it was like I know, and then I was like, no, this isn't about you. I'm sorry. I was just making a joke about ASMR. Oh, no. No, no, no. I I wasn't offended at all. I mean, it's like it it either works for you. It doesn't. Right. And if Mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's usually like like I tried to show it to my parents and they're like, I love you. But I no, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) So, yes, I don't fault anyone for not listening to it. But if ASMR is your thing and horror movie analysis is your thing, yeah, you can check us out. Um, Just search for Slay ASMR. It's also in my Twitter. uh, DW Caffrey also in my Instagram. And um, yeah, by the time this episode has gone up, we would have done uh, several Christmas episodes. So Ooh. stay tuned. Um, maybe even one of the movies we talked about today. We'll see. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you can find me there. And yeah, I think that I think those are my plugs. I think that's all the stuff I have coming up. Nice. And I just want to say thank you for having me today too. This has been so fun. Uh, oh, of I'm a big thanks, fan of this. Thanks for pod- being here. Yeah. Like, I, lo- I love this podcast independently of of me knowing you all. Um, so it was a real treat oh, to be on here. Well, yeah. Thank you. Well. That's really great to hear. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> well, Mike, where can we find you online? You can find me at my other show, which I've just promptly forgot the name of. Pod oh my and Pendulum. <laughs> Thank you. We're all forgetting our podcast. Our like wow. podcast I know. We're all just like, yeah. who yeah. I know? I mean, who really? I who are we? <laughs> who who <laughs> am I here? You can find me on my other show, The Pod and the Pendulum. Uh, at the time of this coming out, I would say we are about midway through the final Destination franchise. We will also be having Joe Lipset from Horror oh, cool. Queers on. He'll be talking Final Destination 5 when we roll around to that one. 
Uh, or I think, no, he's doing four and Trace is doing part five, if oh, I remember wow. correctly. Uh, Ryan Larson is coming on to talk. Uh, Brian Kuyper is coming on. BJ Coangelo. So we have a lot of really fun guests lined up. And then we have just a really lot of fun stuff. Like we're a weekly podcast that does horror movie franchises. Uh, we do like pretty deep dives into like the social commentary, the mental health aspects, uh, what other contemporaries were of that movie uh, that we're discussing at that time. And, you know, we cover the big franchises like your Halloweens, your Friday the 13th, and then we'll do like your critters of the world as well. <laughs> so which are always a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. So follow us over at Pod and Pendulum. Follow me over at Mike underscore Snoonian. And I think I'm guesting on some other shows heading into the new year, um, but I'm not sure which ones yet. So we'll see. Nice. Laura, what about you? You can find me on Twitter. You have a very funny Twitter feed. You get a great Twitter feed. You really do, yeah. Thank you. And I've locked myself into doing this thing that I sometimes have no. You can find me on Twitter at underalls, just like. The 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 tidy whiteies you wear that you suddenly find penetrated by a syringe. That <laughs> <laughs> gives Jen nightmares yeah, for twenty years. <laughs> yeah, you, you you wore them to teach science that day, mm. and little did you yeah. know that later that uh, later on you'd be dead from the butt. That's why you always wear clean ones. Because you <laughs> yeah. never know. Death, Death by, by butt. butt. That's at un, at underalls uh, on Twitter. U N D R A L L S. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, okay, I I was just like, oh god, oh god, oh god. And you can stop uh, doing that if you want to. I don't want you to feel. No, I can't. Me. I this is a, no. This is an internal pressure <laughs> that that knows that that will not relent, mm. and uh, and I and I'm trapped in my own hell cycle. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram at Instaglum. Boo hoo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And uh, sometimes I'm on Losers Club and Halloweenies as well. Otherwise, I'm just existing in, in like a like a fly in amber, <laughs> just bobbing around hey. here in this room. Hey, maybe you'll become a dinosaur one day. You know, <laughs> I can only right. hope. Um, but you can find me at Jen Ferratu on socials. You can find me on the Losers Club, and we should be talking about the Stand, which I could talk for a million years about. So, tune in to hear me obsess over Alexander Skarsgård's beard and how hot James Marston is and mm. probably some other stuff about the actual story. Yeah, but it's very hot cast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Lots of hunks. Lots of hunks there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do any of them wear sweaters? I mean, they have to wear sweaters. Is there, is that James was my, my in a sweater. Um, I mean, it's pretty cold when they go for that journey in the end. So I mm -hmm. imagine they're wearing some sweaters. Ooh. Yeah. They're hot sweater. Sorry. I, I've got to stop. People are going to think that I'm just horny all the time. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Not, not that there's anything wrong with hey, that. Yeah. I did not talk about how dreamy I find Billy in this movie, um, but I do. I guess we didn't record. talk much about Zach Galligan, I guess. No, we but didn't. He, no. He is, he's, he's sort of like a... He's kind of a big yeah, lump of Yeah, he's not like an inactive protagonist, but he's 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 the least mm -hmm. um, flamboyant or colorful part of the movie, I think. Right. You know, yeah, both he, he's just kind of he can't possibly compete with the what's happening around. Right. Him. Yeah. Just he doesn't have. He's not <laughs> right. Gizmo, he's and like, he doesn't have a sad Christmas story about his chimney. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And he doesn't have like yeah, a racist just... view. Exactly. And he doesn't wear he, a Christmas tree costume. Talk about? Right. He, he's, he is kind of the good like proxy for the audience. You know, he's just he's just sort of yes, guiding right. you through, Very through all of this. Every yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah, every, yeah, total every man protagonist. And he's a little dreamy, so you know. He's got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well He's good to his dog. <laughs> that's true. Yes, very good. Well, the weather outside is frightful and I don't know. What else to say about that? But that is our episode on Gremlins. Thank you so much for listening. And Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. Oh, it was a blast. Thank you again. Seriously. It was really fun. Oh, yeah. Well, we hope that you are all having a safe and restful holiday. And I don't know if you're allowed to chew bubblegum on Christmas Eve, but we came here to chew bubblegum. It seems like we should be talking about a more Christmassy candy, but whatever. Came here to, came here to, to lit. chew gingerbread men. There we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. We came here to chew gingerbread men and take care of ourselves. And we're all, we're all out, out of gingerbread men. Because oh, the gremlin oh, ate them all. Oh, that's right. So everybody just stay out of the blender and we'll be okay. So. Ho, ho, ho. Now I have a blender. Ho, ho, ho. Sorry. <laughs> Consequence Podcast Network.